This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with uh, Terry and the gang. And who else is here? Jeff. Nobody important, apparently. <laughs> is Kiko here? The gang's all here. Hey, he, we got a big day. Corkers come uncorked, and uh, Flake is is going away, and everybody now is talking, not everybody, but these people are now talking about the president in an honest tone that we haven't heard from many senators. Wait, who came uncorked? Corker. There he is. He, he, they're done. They're done pretending like this is acceptable behavior. Have you seen the, the interviews president. with Corker, though? He's not uncorked. No, no, no. He's, he's very, very measured. It's he's very, very measured. And like, would you ever vote for him again? No way. No. No way. Is he a liar? We don't use the L word in our family, he says. <laughs> but uh, he has a very he has a very difficult time with the truth. We got a bunch of real dummies. It really it's 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 a level of talking about the president we've never heard. And Flake now, uh, the senator that uh, President Trump was saying he wouldn't support has now said he's not going to run and he's got to talk openly about and, and share what his conscience is telling him. But he's still going to support a couple of the initiatives. Yeah. I mean, the thing he, is, he's been voting for him 91 percent of the yeah, time. He's very much been aligned with President Trump, except Trump didn't like him because he spoke out in a meeting against him, a yeah. private <laughs> meeting with the senators last time. Yeah. And well, he called him out. Initially, Trump goes, well, when I primary you, and he goes, I'm not up for re-election. And then Trump went, just kind of looked at him. I'm like, well, at some point you are going to be, so he's going to get you there. Uh, but in a way, it's incredible, right? Because this is now, what, five senators now? Four. Collins speaks out. Corker, Flake, McCain. Mm-hmm. Is it the beginning of more? No. Maybe. I think people still want to keep their jobs. Yeah, see that now all of a sudden there's going to be this division because what a lot of what they're saying is this isn't how you treat people. You don't bully people. This isn't this isn't America. This isn't how we do it. And uh, now everybody's going to go be asked. Every senator is going to be asked. Yeah. Do you agree that Mr. Trump is? And they're going to have to go on the record after taxes. Yeah, Once after taxes that. is passed, then everyone's going to come off the rails. <laughs> they have to so. get their policy through. Then they're good. Well, yeah, they got to get the policy through. They're going to be in big trouble because they have to get taxes, or the whole thing falls apart. Wow. They lost health. They're going to try to get health back because mm-hmm. they've been working on some other ideas. Like the Republicans I read yesterday have their own plan. This is the bipartisan idea to try to shore up the Obamacare exchanges. Yeah. And now Republicans have come up with their own idea that has nothing to do with the bipartisan bill, which Boy. I don't know what that is. I was trying to look it up in a little, not a lot of detail. Plus, oh, wow. We got a lot to talk about. Jeff's had a great night last night. Mm. I did. You know, I only got to watch about seven innings of it, and then I had a meeting, and I was surprised to find out when I came out of the meeting, the game was already over. And so I want to say something. The Dodgers winning. My wife can no longer say that baseball is too long. Because one game wasn't too long. It was the shortest game, really? the shortest World Series game in 25 years. Really? Two hours and 28 minutes. For one game, it that was is short. Fa- that's just good pitching. 
Isn't it that, was it was great pitching. pitching. The only runs that were scored were from home runs. There were three home runs. That was it. Yeah, the home runs are fast. Yeah, wrap it. Get it up. Get around. And the, I believe around. there were eight double plays, which also plays a big part in that. Wow. Yeah. See, I didn't watch it. I watched seven at the seventh inning. I started watching. Ooh, the, all sad. the runs had already been I scored at Houston that point. To win. People say this could go six, but it didn't look like this is going to go six games. It was three to one. Still pretty close. Yeah. Kershaw, the Dodgers' starting pitcher, struck out uh, the second highest number of people in a in a playoffs game, I believe. But he was pitching so well, they could have just left him in. It, we, mm, but then the the point is, do you? Do you usually in? in the playoffs? You usually go no more than seven innings, know, and then you but, put in your bullpen, especially if you have the Dodgers bullpen. I know that's that's why I don't know if this is going to go six games. You think it'll be done in four or five? Well, I don't want it to be. I want it to go seven games with the Astros winning in the seventh. <laughs> You're a monster. Thank you. Terry's bored with baseball. <laughs> Terry wants well, us to talk about it'll, Corker. It'll be like three and a half hours, game two. So, And what about Mount McKinley? What about it? Gone. Denali was in. Oh, and yeah. now Trump's saying he's going to go back and rename it McKinley. Really? Mm. By the way, guess for who? Ohio. Guy from Ohio that never went and saw that mountain. Never saw the mountain, probably never went to Alaska, and yet the Alaskans want it named Denali. Yeah. So who has the Maybe right to name denial? The... All change is bad, Matt. Denali denial. It seems like the state that owns the mountain, that lives in the mountain, that loves the mountain, that takes care of the mountain. It's, it's a federal property, so that's a good point. I- irrelevant. It's is a it? federal property there, in Alaska. There is the question that it's named after a guy from Ohio. Yeah. Who never actually went to Alaska to see the and thing he was named after. the natives named it Denali. This should be – should this not go to the deference, go to the, the to the people that were climbing the mountain first? They're, they're misinformed as to what they really want, and so the president yeah. will help them with that. <sighs> At least t- it's I, not, I don't know if I'm stealing all your news. It, no, it's also another thing with the name Obama underneath it. So I know, but it doesn't mean everything was off. wrong, right? At least no, it's not but... Mount Drumpf. By the way, no, but if this, if this is the model we use, then why wouldn't we call it Drumpf? No, what was his family's name? Drumpf. It was Drumpf. Was that, did it start with yeah. a D? I thought it was an S. No, it was a no. Drumpf. Drumpf, and then they changed it. Oh, that is a great story. And uh, apparently the parks are going to start charging $70. Okay, we'll let Terry tell per us that car story. ride. We'll get to that one We're later. We're taking all but, the stories. But um, $70 to get into a national park? What yeah. is this, Disneyland? Yeah, my wife was like, Buh. I don't know. Do we go to a national park if it's that expensive? Is it one know. day? So yeah, that's $70 a one-day pass. Day? It's a one-day pass. What? Wow. I thought $30 was a little high when I went to Bryce Canyon, yeah, but that's for now. like a whole week. Yeah, that seems like a lot. So I'll have to see because it said like seasonal rates, but I wasn't sure if it was like – because sometimes you buy a pass and you can it's like a three-day yeah. or whatever the length is. It didn't say. It just says raising it to $70. I, think you, I thought we could buy a pass for like – $70 that was the whole year to get into the parks in Utah. Yeah, that, I don't believe no. it's a year pass. No. They're, they're trying to do an infrastructure Maybe rebuild. if you're a senior citizen, because maybe we were riding on the coattails of well, a senior. it costs a lot of money to change the name. 
You know, there's all the paperwork <laughs> yeah, and the right. filing. Uh-huh. And... All the brochures that yeah. have to be changed. Yeah. Plus, Shrumpf is, or Drumpf is so hard to spell. <laughs> uh, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. What's going on, Terry? So as you talked about Senator Flake, Arizona after, Tuesday afternoon gave his impassioned speech from the Senate floor, announces his retirement. Here's some of what he said. He said, we must never regard as normal the regular and casual undermining of our democratic norms and ideals. He goes, we must never meekly accept the daily sundering of our country, the personal attacks, threats against principles, freedoms, and institutions, the flagrant disregard for truth or decency, Mm. the reckless provocations, most often for the pettiest and most personal Mm. reasons, Mm. having nothing to do whatsoever with the fortunes of the people that we have all been elected to serve. Wow. So nothing that's happening is helping what and we're here for. And don't normalize this. Don't pretend like this is normal. He spoke for 20 minutes without ever mentioning Trump's name. Flake pondered Washington's future and what his Senate colleagues could tell their grandchildren about the time they served during the Trump administration. At times, openly questioning whether Congress could be proud of its complicity in the coarsening of U.S. politics. Whoa. He cautioned against the notion that there would ever be a pivot to normalcy from the White House. A, the White House responded calling the speech petty and not befitting of the Senate floor. I'm sensing oh. a pattern here. There yeah. have been several speeches where people refuse to address President Trump as President Trump. Yeah. It's almost like he's he uh, who shall not be named. Well, they have another name for him now, which is <laughs> um, I think it was Corker said he wishes that the daycare team would. Yeah. Take over. It was something about day, day, the daycare didn't again. Yeah, daycare. Going back to daycare he saying they got were away absent. from daycare or yeah. something. Just going crazy. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 by the way, so now Trump's turning and saying this is unbefitting a statement from the Senate floor. Right. As t- as as yeah, he was talking about the executive branch. Yeah. I don't mm. know. The Trump administration resumed the U.S. refugee program Tuesday after a 120 day ban, but there will be uh, severe new restrictions. On emissions going forward after the four-month review, the administration enhanced vetting for all refugee applicants and determined that an additional 90-day review was needed for 11 countries. Extreme vetting. Right. (laughs) However, individuals from those 11 will be considered for resettlement in the U.S. on a case-by-case basis, but only if they are determined to be in the U.S. national interest and don't don't pose a security threat, Hmm. according to the Department of Homeland Security. Applicants from other countries do not need to prove that they are in a national interest. To the U.S. I'm okay. not sure what national interest means. I think it's if you have a skill that they want to utilize. Yeah, if we want to use you, then you are in our best interest. So you have a very specific set of skills. The whole send us your tired, your you your, know the Statue yeah, of Liberty, but that, that hungry, we, we learned before that doesn't apply to huddled this masses longing yeah. to be free. Yeah, that has nothing to do with the program. None of that matters. And, and these are refugees leaving from war torn areas yeah, with nothing. Yeah, for their lives again. We're good. But, but the question really is, what can you give us? Yeah. <laughs> it seems so wrong. Uh, this was interesting. Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign and the Democratic National Committee reportedly funded research that led to the dossier on allegations connecting President Trump to Russia. Oops. According to the Washington Post, both entities funded the effort through October 2016. Fusion GPS conducted the research on behalf of the campaign and its counsel. Uh, Mark uh, Elias, I think his name is. Christopher Steele, a former British intelligence officer, authored the dossier. Mm-hmm. On Saturday, Trump tweeted that the Justice Department should immediately release who paid for it. Well, and 
Because this is the one this, saying that he is greatly compromised the ru- they, in business and yeah. things like that that the Russian government has this, this on him. This was a big tip-off. And part of the dossier no one can talk about. Right. It is the part no one mentions. Right. And then there's the other part that was really probably more about Manafort and his ties, which really led to the Mueller investigation. And now Mueller wanted to see the dossier. Right. So they've been investigating They've been the looking dossier. at it. But then this whole thing was funded by the DNC that's and they, Hillary Clinton. That's what they found. What? <laughs> Politics, man. Love how it all comes back around. And finally, a whopping 42% of children ages 0 to 8 have their own tablet device. 42%? 42%. That's wow. up from less than 1% in 2011. Now, I thought tablets were falling off and everyone was just going to a phone. Well, adults, but like kids, what are they going to use? Remember? Phones. Remember when we were watching Moneyball the other day and Brad Pitt's character is just shocked and appalled that his 12-year-old daughter was using a cell phone? Yeah, that was crazy. (laughs) Like, uh, yeah, now every kid has one. So what they're saying is uh, this is from Common Sense Media. They they did a survey and they found that families with young children now are more likely to have subscription video services like Netflix or Hulu. That's 72%. Then they are to have cable TV, which is 65%. It's the first time that's actually... Ooh, it's switched. It's switched. 10% of kids, 8 or under, own a smart toy that connects to the internet. 9% have a voice-activated virtual assistant device available to them in the home, either what the Google uh, Echo or the uh, Google Home, so Amazon Echo, Google Home. Uh, Sarah DeWitt, Vice President of PBS Digital, or Kids Digital, who argues that screen time isn't necessarily a bad thing, but DeWitt said a few things got lost in the message. It's not like blanket all screen time is great, she said in a recent interview. There are two things to keep in mind, she says. One is that the right amount of screen time really depends on the kid, and the other is that not all screen time is created equal. The key, she says, is for parents to be proactive. Yeah. Because you could be doing something educational or you could just be in a coma staring at a cartoon. Well, They're both screen time, but they're but, not equal. But I guess they're, they're seeing screens more because they can take the screen with us. Back in the day, we had to leave our screens because they were so heavy. Yes. We would always take those TV VCR combos uh, and just stick it right in between the yeah. seats in the, in the front of the car. Yeah, we didn't. That, 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 that was – but see, my day – you couldn't do that because the t- they didn't have a TV VCR combo, and mm. each weighed about a thousand pounds. I feel sorry for you. you. Had two thousand pounds in AV. The, the blinking VCR light uh-huh. was annoying. Yeah, yeah. My, my parents were the sit in the back of the car, read a book. Oh yeah. And if you can't do that, then go to sleep. What well, happens when you get a headache twenty minutes into the book? That, that was my problem. I always get sick, so it was like That's fine. A you big just deal though. I mean, pass out. These kids so. Now they can watch anything they want and play all these incredibly educational games and go on Google and Wikipedia and learn anything they want to learn. Like my, my kids watch a ton of YouTube videos about space. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of great science videos on YouTube. My kid watches a bunch of YouTube videos about people playing with toys. Oh, really? That's where we kind of drop oh, like a line. like where they unveil a new toy? Yeah, they're like, look, we're going to unbox this toy. And he's like, oh, my gosh. And he'll stop it, run and get me so I can watch them open a box. I'm like, huh. And then they play with them. Yeah. And he's like, Dad, uh, they told me it's at the store and it only costs this much. Father. So it's just an ad, obviously. So, (laughs) you know, we curtail some things. My my wife last night was like, could we just give him the passcode? I'm tired of punching in the passcode on the iPad. I'm like, no, that's the only control we have. That's a great. If not, he comes running in at any moment. He can just get on there and do what he wants. No, you do have your pool noodle. We have the pool noodle, so we can... uh, (laughs) You can always hit him on the head or... Whatever you do. Blow on his face. 
<laughs> so yeah, we uh, we try to control it that way. We've had some issues with that. Uh-oh. Little emotional reactions when someone cannot have the tablet. Now, how many? So I just how much time do you give him a day? He is. Um, he probably gets about thirty minutes. Oh, that's nothing. So, but I mean, it, I, mean I had that for breakfast. There's su- <laughs> there's such an emotional response. Like he just cries and starts everything yeah. just no. collapses in the house because he can't have the iPad. No, that's, yeah. I put it away for a day till he resets himself. You wow. can tell he's addicted. Yeah, it's bad. The first thirty minutes free, five dollars for every minute after that. And then wait the, till they're older, though. It's the like, trick it's is, really hard to get their stuff off. We have some educational apps through a school. That yeah. He'll get on. He goes, Dad, I'm, I'm doing homework, right? Okay, so he does that for a few minutes. So I go, okay, you do that. Come talk to me when you're done. And then I come up, and he hasn't been down to talk to me, and he's watching Netflix. He's watching X-Men. Yeah. I'm like, dude, you Whoa. can't just do well, – no, he's watching Smurfs. That's what he's watching now. Oh, that's oh, worse. That's totally worse. Yeah. I mean, he, never trust a little blue person. <laughs> that's what Grandma used to say. He's got all these questions, though. He can't get grab the concept that Gargamel, the evil guy on the, on the Smurfs, yeah. wants to eat the Smurfs. Yeah, he, he wants to make Smurf stew. That's the whole point. He's a, he's a Smurfivore, and he's like, Dad, why would he want to do that? And I go, They have magical properties. And he goes, Really? And I go, I don't know. It's just well, watch your show. It makes sense because if you ask your kids what's your favorite flav- flavor, sometimes they'll say blue. Yeah, I blue. like blue. Yeah, it's the hats. You, I mean, don't you think a Smurf looks like they taste good though? It's a good color blue. I've never considered eating them. Do you think their hats are like marshmallows? Mm-hmm. If that was the case, yeah, I think that would really seal yeah. the deal for me. I'm not a marshmallow guy. No, with a little Smurf nougat inside. <laughs> Having said I'm not a marshmallow guy, my uh, my five month old is going to be the Stay Puff Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man oh, from Ghostbusters. Stoss is going to be a marshmallow. Mm-hmm. Cute. Are you just going to eat him throughout the night? Apparently, he was super cute uh, when my wife tried on the costume the other night, but he wasn't too pleased because it was difficult to get him out. Yeah. Once you can't get him out of the costume, then it's kind of a bigger deal. Then you have to eat your way through. <laughs> That's right. Or you just just slowly dip him in some hot chocolate. <laughs> Let him melt. That's cute. Good stuff. I hope you're getting ready for uh, Halloween. It's coming up. Um, and remember, as adults, you, call, you also can be dressing up. Up next, we're going to be talking about adulting for beginners. Adulthood, a book written by a professor, a university professor, about the, the things, the life secrets nobody bothered to tell you about. The things you need to know to be an adult straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Hey, you know, growing up is hard to do, but adulting may be even harder. Many people graduate high school and college and realize they don't have the basic skills for life or that they have no idea what to do with their lives. Today, we have the author of Adulthood for Beginners, All the Life Secrets Nobody Bothered to Tell You. Uh, it's, he's a professor, Andy Boyle, and a professor of digital storytelling at Columbia College in Chicago. He has a great website if you go check it out, andyboyle.com. Andy, thanks for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. Now, what made you want to write a book on adulthood? I think it kind of came about the fact that when I graduated college and went out into the real world, I really didn't know anything. And there weren't <laughs> that many good resources to help me out either. And when, by the time I'd kind of gotten my, my early 30s, I kind of realized, you know, I learned a lot. And I bet some of this might be helpful to others. 
that is honestly we need that i had a guy in my office i do a lot of kind of life coaching and it's a person that has a master's degree in a field and doesn't want to do that degree doesn't want to work in that field and now has no idea what he wants to do but he's an adult with two kids Exactly. And it's just like, what do you do now? Yeah. He's, he literally he does not know what to do next. Um, in the advice, you, you use a lot of humorous examples to very practical, a mix of, and a great mix of both. Um, in fact, you introduce a new idea, WWTHD. Um, what does WWTHD mean? That stands for what would Tom Hanks do? <laughs> and I, uh, it's a really good, I think it's a pretty good precept uh, that I, I heard from an old writing teacher that I had. And the basic idea is if you're ever in a situation and you do not know how to respond, first think, well, what would Tom Hanks do in this situation? <laughs> Odds are he would be nice. He would be uh, very, uh, he would give credit to everyone else. He would be incredibly humble. And usually that's the right route to go. There you go. I mean, that really, and I guess if you're not into Tom Hanks or you don't know enough about his work, you could just find the next really nice professional. Exactly. That's great. What uh, What's the deal with Nickelback? Because I'm <laughs> of the era that I don't understand why everybody's so against Nickelback. Exactly. And so I, I have a... I have a lot of stuff in the book about how one of the ways I think that we can start to grow and become better people is learning to relate to those that are different than us. And I think one big group of people that get made fun of a lot or bullied, maybe is a better term, are Nickelback fans. And they're just like any other human being. They just happen to like a band that makes music that for some reason people have decided is uncool. Mm. And so what I wrote was, uh, I think that Nickelback fans are awesome because not only are they people that regularly get made fun of just because of some art that they like, but they continue to like it and it brings them great joy. And I think we'd all be better people if we could kind of follow their example and just be happy about the things that we love. That's great. So you, how did you get, or how did you decide what needed to go into the book? Was this just stuff you'd been teaching and telling stories about and part of your comedy act? I mean, how did you know what needed to be in the book? So some of it was uh, stuff that I've been talking about for years, and some of it was I uh, since I give like talks and stuff at colleges a lot, I kind of would get asked the same handful of questions by students, and I was just like, well, you know what? Maybe I just I'll just sit down and write down answers to a bunch of these things. And then also I just talked with a lot of my friends and, and was like, what did you not know when you were 22 or 23 that you know now? And then people would say stuff, and I'd realize, oh, yeah, I figured that out, too, but no one told you. And so I, my, my kind of uh, thinking was I wanted to kind of allow people to kind of have like a jump start and not have to go through maybe all the, the trials and tribulations that I had to throughout my 20s to learn some of this valuable advice. Hmm. It's great. Um, you One of your bits of advice, I mean, it seems to make a lot of sense at my age, at 47, whenever you have the opportunity, use the bathroom. <laughs> Exactly. It's not like that's a great idea. Oh, yeah. And I, and I think it's a, again, as somebody who, as you get older, and I think especially if you work in office jobs, a lot of your life revolves around meetings. And you start to realize, wow, this meeting is going to be terrible if I have to use the restroom five minutes into it. And also just, just throughout your life, if you ever think, hmm, I wonder if I should use the restroom, the answer is yes, go. Yes. <laughs> because five seconds later, after that opportunity has gone, you're going to have to. Well, and you shouldn't be, like, surprised that you need to, right? Like, exactly. I mean, you're a grown-up. You know when you consumed yeah. beverages and fluids, so <laughs> let's just plan accordingly. Um, exactly. you, 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 I guess there was a big pivot point in your life about drinking. 
when you mm-hmm. decided it's time to stop drinking? Maybe talk to us about that. Yeah. So it was back near the end of uh, uh, 2013. I was just going to take, you know, the, the January of 2014 off. And, you know, I'm like a Midwestern guy, went to a state school. Drinking is just kind of that's what you did. That's your normal socializing thing. And I just decided to take a month off. And in that month, I lost a ton of weight. I slept better. I think I was a happier, nicer person. And I was getting a lot of like these extra projects I wanted to get done. Like I'd always called myself a writer, but I was never writing. And then I kind of took a month off from drinking. And boy, was I getting a lot of writing done. (laughs) Yeah. And it just, I just kind of, I just kept doing it. Next thing I knew, it had been six months, a year. Uh, two years, and now this December it'll be coming up on four years. Isn't that amazing? And, but it's, it's almost something you you didn't necessarily consciously start doing. You just kind of fell into it. And then that we probably have a lot of habits like that, that we, mm-hmm. if we would just notice, we could stop a lot of things that might seriously be more positive for life. Yeah, I actually talk about that in the book and that I, I like to view a lot of this stuff that we do as like, it's like these little science experiments that we're doing. And for me, I didn't realize that I was doing a science experiment of what is my life going to be like if I stopped drinking? And then I kind of like, you know, you can kind of weigh the pros and cons and you're like, well, you know, it seems like things for me personally are a lot better yeah. uh, if, if, I, if I don't. Uh, and the same thing with uh, when I started working out or running, I'm like, wow, things are a little bit better <laughs> when I've made these science uh, experiments. It's so. amazing. But but again, because I think some people like, you know, we're Mormons, so we don't drink anyway. So we never Mm -hmm. we never learn that lesson. But we could learn the same lesson about exercising or it's Mm -hmm. just and some people are just naturally good at exercising. So they almost don't ever learn the lesson. Um, But I guess it could be anything in life that we and maybe we just need to try more things. Oh, yeah. And I I think sometimes it's like if you think that something is is not working the way that you like, or if you're like, you know, I just wish I could make a change. It's like, well, try making smaller changes that get you toward whatever that goal is. And again, that goal could be, I want to get better uh, at my, I want to be like a better member of my choir group. I want to uh, do more public service. It's like you can make some of these different, uh, you can make some of these different steps and then you just do one or two things toward that. And if it makes you feel good and if you like the how it goes, keep doing it. I, I always tell people it's like you don't necessarily have to always jump in, you know, all the way toward doing some of these big lifestyle or life changes. Just try one or two things. And if you like it, keep going. And it sounds like you tie this also to being creative, right? So healthy yeah. life is also about creativity. Maybe explain that. Yeah, I always think that um, – one of the best ways of, of being able to, I think it's, it's not just stress relief, but also just kind of like a, a, it just reminds you that I'm alive and I exist and I matter is by creating stuff. And by creating things, I mean, that could be writing, that could be woodwork, that could be, again, joining a choir, being in a band, that could be anything. That could be all, all of these different sort of things. It's creating something that exists outside of yourself, uh, I think is a really wonderful thing. And I also think that by doing that sort of stuff, those uh, those creative and artistic things, it helps you in all of these other areas of your life, whether it be work or your uh, or your relationships with friends and family. It really helps. That's great. Uh, I'm sure if you're talking about adulting, at some point you've got to talk about relationships. What, uh, what, what, ad- what relationship advice do you give? I think one of the biggest things I always like to say is uh, – when you want to ask someone out, first make sure that it seems as if they're giving you some sort of sign that they would <laughs> like to ask you out. Uh, and, and when you do ask somebody out, you should make it like 
uh, very clear that what you are doing is asking them out. And I think that my generation has a problem with this where we do a lot of, hey, you want to hang out? Or let's get to, you know, they don't use the language that says what your intentions are. And I think sometimes it makes people feel a little wishy-washy. And so I, instead, I would suggest say, hi, I think you're really great. We should, I would love to go out with a date, uh, on a date with you sometime. How about Tuesday? We can go bowling. So something like that. So not only are you saying your intentions, but you're giving a date and then also what you want to do. Because that way they can go, you know what, I'm not, in, I'm not into you. Or they can say Tuesday doesn't work. How about Thursday? Or I hate bowling. Let's go fly kites. <laughs> yeah. It really is. I mean, it's, it seems like that would be natural that you'd kind of want to get a sign before you go asking someone out. But, I mean, a lot of people just don't know how to play that, how to read that right. Um, a, a big point I know that you make um, – because adulting is also the ability to go be independent of your parents, to go be able mm-hmm. to make enough money, live on your own. But you you, you actually bring up two points. Um, one is that you really need to like set some goals and, and, and achieve goals, but you also don't have to plan everything for your career. Exactly. I always like to say that a career is what happens while you're trying to pay your rent. <laughs> and one of the big problems is we see these people with these great careers or maybe they write a book about how awesome their career was and they have the luck of being able to look back 20, 30 years and everything looks as if it was like a perfect decision. Whereas most of us, we just kind of fall into everything. Like I didn't plan on writing a book. Yeah. <laughs> like it just, it just happened. And I think for, for a lot of folks, they need to understand that, uh, you know, your career is just kind of like, that's just what happens while you're trying to make some money. Uh, and that you can try to set these big goals, but I don't think a lot of people, you know, at the age of 12 are setting a goal of, I want to run Bank of America. <laughs> That's usually not how that works. It better not. That's a weird dude. <laughs> That's a weird kid that wants to do that. But so goal, I mean, goal setting is important. It, it's something you want to do. But And you also bring up the fact that you, you're not competing against the world. You're just, you're competing against yourself. I always, I always like to tell folks that what you're trying to do is you're trying to become a better version of yourself uh, compared to three months ago, six months ago, a year ago. Because if you're trying to compare yourself to other people, what I think we often forget is those folks have led a completely different life than you. They have completely different goals, and they might have had different kinds of help than you. So that means that it's not fair for you to compare yourself to others, but you can compare yourself to yourself. So when you set goals, you try to make them – kind of small and incremental you don't say i want to lose 50 pounds instead you say i want to lose five pounds because it's a much more achievable goal that's something that most people could do in like two months and then after that you say well i want to lose five more pounds and so that way when you make your goals smaller they're much easier to achieve and they don't look as if they're these incredible monumental undertakings Mm. What what don't we get, Andy, about this younger generation? I mean, we always hear about millennials and oh, the the being a millennial is the worst thing in the world. Um, but what what really what are we missing as those that are adults with the group of people that you're trying to inspire? I think one of the big things that folks don't often understand is how prevalent social media is and how it has impacted uh, our brains a lot more than I think older generations. If you, if you think about when something bad happened in the world, you had to watch TV at a certain time or pick up a newspaper or maybe a magazine and you might find out about it. Whereas now, anything terrible that happens 
can be put onto social media and be amplified immediately. So while the world may not necessarily be getting worse, it might seem like that. And I think that has led to a lot of extra uh, fear and anxiety in a lot of younger people that didn't really exist in uh, previous generations. And then if you couple that with the fact that studies also show this, that uh, our attention spans are much shorter. Uh, and then we also have, um, we, we're like the first generation who m- might not make as much money as our parents, and we have a lot of debt. And I think that leads to a lot of folks that are very scared. Mm. And what they, what they really, really lack, and, I, and I've given talks on this previously, is they lack leadership and mentorship from older generations, especially in these job settings. And that's one of the big things I think that older generations can especially help us with, is figuring out like some of that career stuff. Because again, we aren't learning it unless someone helps us. You know, it's true. And and you also have seemingly more choices. And we've told you forever that you can be anything. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, back in the day, I didn't even know I was going to go to college. And then <laughs> I, hey, I got to college. I can do this. But I didn't seem to have the world at my fingertips. I just had, you know, a, a, maybe a few jobs I could choose from. Um, so that's got to be confusing as well. But And so parents, we we probably need to help our kids understand and and somehow build a bridge between their reality to the real world. Yeah. And I think especially when I was younger, it's like there were 10 jobs you knew. It was like astronaut, farmer, teacher, (laughs) police officer, police officer, fireman, nurse. You just, yeah, you just knew of these handful of jobs. But then as you get older, you start to learn that, you know, there's like, uh, there's so many more jobs out there that might be incredibly fulfilling and interesting and that you can go to college and you can still get, you know, like a nice liberal arts education that teaches you about the world and all these other sort of things, but can still help to prepare you towards some of these jobs that <clears throat> do pay well and do exist <laughs> yeah. uh, and, 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 uh, and, and help. So you can not only be fulfilled intellectually uh, by what you study in college, but you can also kind of be prepared for what to do after, uh, because I know there are a lot of companies out there that are still having a hard time finding qualified people. And I think part of that is because people don't know that those jobs exist. It's so true. And you, you, um, one of your points I know is uh, make sure you call your parents more. And part exactly. of that, I mean, and part of that's vi- reverse. Parents probably need to call their kids more. We need, we need to keep those relationships alive. Yep. Oh, 100%. And I, and I don't think that texting is a good substitute. I think it's, it's great. It's a wonderful way to stay in contact. But I do think talking on the phone seeing each other face to face, that is all really helpful because, again, uh, as, I, as I have learned many times, my parents have been in many of the same situations that <laughs> I have been in and will be in, and they usually have pretty good advice, yeah. uh, which, again, took me 10 years to figure out, but, uh, or excuse me, 30 years to figure out. Um, but uh, but they, they sometimes know what they're talking about, and a lot of us are fortunate enough to have parents that are pretty smart and also world-traveled and can help us in a lot of areas. That's great. What As we wrap it up, Andy, what would you say is the one thing, if there's one thing every uh, a person that's in the adulting stage needs to know, what is it? Be nice. And that seems like such a simple, oh, simple great thing. Advice. But I think it, it really boils down to what you should do is I, I don't I think the golden rule is a pretty good idea, which is, you know, treat each other uh, like you'd like to be treated. But I instead think it should be the platinum rule. Treat each other better than you want to be treated, because I think what happens then is other people start to see that it pushes. <clears throat> it makes you again. People treat you better when you treat them nicer. And I think, again, it's just going to make the world a better place. So I think if you can do that 
employers will notice that you're that nice, helpful person, your friends, family, members of your church. Uh, it's just very helpful. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. Andy Boyle is his name. The book is Adulthood for Beginners, All of the Life Secrets Nobody Bothered to Tell You. And you can find out more by going to his website, andyboyle.com. Just great, uh, great insight, great spirit about life. Um, And and have more hope in these young adults that are uh, coming to fruition. Life is good, folks. Life is good, and relationships are what matter in the end. We will continue the journey up next, a little Coach's Corner. Uh, This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Welcome back. You know, um, really, we just, I think, expect our kids to be able to just move into adulthood, right? Like, we, hey, you know, we got you... We got you through high school, and now we're going to send you off to college, and then you're just going to get it. But there's probably so much more to becoming an adult um, than just maturing and just growing older, right? At some point, you know they're not very well prepared. If you've ever dropped your kid off for college, you probably realize, oh, boy, I don't know if I ever taught him to iron. It's one of the benefits of – like in the LDS church, we send our missionaries out and uh, boy, if our kids don't know how to make a meal, to work, to exercise, I mean, it's, you may be creating, you may be creating a monster if, if you're not setting your kids up to succeed one way or another. But as Andy got into this idea of uh, just being nice, wouldn't that be one of the most important lessons we could give anybody today, especially to our children, is the idea of feeling um some compassion for the people that are around us, feeling a sense of compassion for the people in this world. I find it interesting that um, we're so quick to dismiss people today. We're so quick to just eliminate uh, an entire group of people because of where they were born or how they are born. Um, And it, it just seems like why on earth do we need to draw such a small circle? Why can't we keep the circles bigger and, and why can't we allow you know people to just make mistakes in life? It, being mad about someone else's mistake doesn't in any way, shape, or form actually eliminate their mistake. It just makes it more difficult for people to move on. And as we see it in our political world uh, – Regardless, we can't be bullies. Even if you have the bully pulpit, even if you have the most important position in the world, you 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 still have to use it with some honor, with some respect, don't you? Because if not, what are we becoming? And so I don't know. I, I look at it and I think, what's going on with us that we that we don't get this? Uh, the Dalai Lama has a great quote. He says, "People were created to be loved." Things were created to be used. The reason why the world is in chaos is because things are being loved and people are being used. What do you think of that? Do you think we're spending way too much time loving things, our phones, our apps, our ideas, our positions, our party affiliations, and instead we're just using the people in our life? You know, we like the people in our life as long as they meet our needs. We like the people in our life as long as they get us what we want. 
we use them. Kind of like you would a wrench, right? Or a, a basketball. But at some point, these are human beings, and these human beings need to be understood. They need to be cared for. Have we got it backwards? I'd love to hear from you. Uh, if you have any ideas on that, uh, text us at Dr. Matt Show. Um, because uh, really, at some point, we've got to stop seeing other people as just something that we can beat up or throw out or dispose of or build a wall around or ignore and instead start seeing people as, you know, human beings, offspring from a higher power. I, I can only imagine what uh, what our God would think we're like as we just use each other for everything, for jobs, for alike. How interesting, too, that what happens to us when we simply separate ourselves by being able to make an anonymous comment on a YouTube or a Facebook page. How all of a sudden we turn into somebody that we wouldn't be proud of, that we wouldn't want anyone else to know we either talk like that or act like that or respond like that. And then there's those that wouldn't care. And why wouldn't they care that they're demeaning another or pulling another person down? Something's going on there, and it might be, and the Dalai Lama may be onto it, uh, are we using people? Martin Buber used to talk about this idea of um, uh, he called it "I it" or "I thou," where we have a relationship with people, and the relationship is either going to be "I," which is me, in relation to an it, a thing, or the "I me" in relation to a thou, which would be kind of a highly respected uh, other person. So think about your relationships in your life. Do you tend to approach the people around you more like a, like they are an it, a thing, or do you approach them like that they are a, a thou? Remember, we use the word thou when you're praying to deity, when you're referring to the higher power that is has incredible, uh, incredible value, incredible worth. I, it, or I, thou. I think it's an important part for all of us to be looking at and uh, and actually evaluate our lives through that spectrum. Do we do we affiliate with people that treat others like its and things, or like you know thous and beings? It's going to eventually come back, I think, to hurt all of us if we're only treating people like its and things. Eventually, we demean and debase the entire human race. So anyway, just a little just a little idea for all of us. What part of the problem are you? What part of the solution can you be? What can you do today? to go out and start uh, becoming the change that you seek in this world, as Gandhi taught us. We'll take a break and come back, continue the journey and the discussion. This is the Matt Townsend Show, doing what we can to help you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends. Uh, You know, nothing says life more than a little tech news. And so uh, who better to help us walk through the latest and greatest in the tech world than Terry South? Wow. So, Matt. Yeah. You have an Instagram account. I do. And you try to be unique and insightful. My people that make me do that do. Right. Like my wife is like, let's do something on your Instagram today. And I'm like, really? I'm tired. Here's an idea, something yeah. you can do. Get okay. your instant followers. All right, good, good, good. Posing yeah. either in front of uh-huh. or in a private jet. 
Ooh. Really? How about just like a Delta Airlines jet? Maybe with your cuff pulled no. up, you show your uh, Ooh, my, cuff my legs a little bit. Because yeah. the private jet that shows status. What if I don't? What if I don't have a jet, but I have a private bus? I could get not my hands the same. It's you have some be golf carts in your neighborhood. Yeah, I could get a golf cart. So people in Russia are renting out grounded private jets by the hour just to take Instagram photos. Two-hour photo shoot with your own photographer that you bring with you costs just under two hundred fifty bucks for the hour. Wow! Most wow. In, they have in, most Instagram stars have at least one glamorous shot in a private jet. So if you want to be an Instagram star, that's what you need: but private jet. But if, if you have a shot near a private jet, but everyone knows it's not your jet. That you live with your mom? Well, people don't know. <laughs> That's the thing. You just go out there and... But they're on Instagram, right? So a lot yeah. of these people on Instagram know you like, Judy, oh, were you cleaning that jet? You're using Instagram wrong. Most people just follow people because it's, oh, you know, totally it's very it frivolous. Yeah. But this, it's called Moscow-based private jet studio selling two-hour photo shoots aboard a Gulfstream. It doesn't fly. It just sits there on the tarmac at the airport. But, uh, yeah. It gives you that experience. It gives you the effect of being, you know, a big deal without actually being a big deal. Oh, boy. It's a cheaper way. Sometimes that's kind of what I feel like this radio show is. Really? <laughs> it's a way to pretend like you're a big deal without really being a big deal. And the other mm. one that was funny this week, someone looked at the Kentucky Fried Chicken Twitter account. Notice <laughs> they follow 11 people. There's 11. F- they, they follow 11 Twitter accounts. Well, yeah, like the, the chicken farmer. No. Oh. The account follows 11 <laughs> users. Five of them are former members of the Spice Girls. The other six are men named Herb. Herb. So 11 uh, herbs and spices. Okay. Got it. Right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's cute. Yeah. Super cute. The, uh, the Green Bay Packers quarterback, uh, quarterback Herb Walters, music legend Herb Alpert yeah. are some of those herbs. There's Those are the six herbs. It adds up to 11 herbs. Herbs or herbs, whichever, and, the and spice spices. Girls. Part of the famous secret recipe for KFC's chicken. Um, but yeah, it, they, they put it out there. They didn't say anything. They just left it there. And then finally someone figured it out. That's and people cute. are like, oh, that's kind of a, that's kind of a fun thing so to do. So I guess, because ah, I, I follow, I think, hundreds of people. What about like herbs? Not one. I don't think I'd have one herb on it. And they found a bunch of verified accounts. So they have some sort of status. Oh, yeah, so these are like legit. They have that these blue check mark. Legit herbs. Legit herbs. I like herbs. Better. Along, well, yeah, along with, you know, Spice Girls. Um, yeah, that's it, that's cute, I guess. Why couldn't BYU have gotten a private jet when we were doing this recent photo shoot? Well, because, I mean, jets are $200 a shot, I guess. Hmm. Well, how much did that the guy that talked to me for 10 minutes or whatever it was and came up with the worst photo possible to use? Oh, boy. Whoa. Whoa. That seemed, that seemed really angry. I want to see all the photos. I can tell you there's probably five that are better than that. I'm with you. Better I think, in whose eyes? Do people just hate me? Is that what this is? No, no, is this no, no, some no. Sort I, of... thought, I actually <laughs> thought I liked that picture of you because it looked better than the it one cr- that the police have. It crops out half my head. Granted, there's a lot of forehead to get in the picture, but still. But, yeah. I thought every picture that was taken of me was better than the one that they chose. But again, I think you're missing the point, you guys. He's the artist. Is that what this is? Actually, he didn't select the photos. Who did? In his defense. Was there a committee? I'm sure there was, but he was not a part of it. But you know what? But that committee that was there, that's what he told you. But when I went in after you, he's (laughs) like, that chef is a mess. Um, but everybody knows you, too, so maybe they thought that really personified you. You. Nobody knows me. Maybe we ought to post those pictures, and I hate mine totally. Maybe we shouldn't. 
Right? Maybe, Maybe we, we ought should to just, just burn let's just all copies. Them. If we posted them, then everyone could see what we're talking about. Terry and I both went in there and said we worked on the Matt Townsend show, and they're like, who? I know. What exactly. show? I know. There's radio here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know. And then know. you walk in, everyone's like, hey, Matt, how are you yeah. doing? It's because they know me. Yeah. But, yeah, they just were playing with you guys. Playing with you. That's what we're doing with you guys, just playing, just having a good day. We got a lot straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, along with uh, Jeff Simpson, Terry South. The gang's all here. I just thought of something. Do you make your kids call you Dr. Matt? Yes. Papa Dr. Matt. Papa Dr. Matt. The, 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 and, or just simplified his excellency. Wow. Mm -hmm. We're very formal at my house. Very good. Mm -hmm. I think that's a good skill to, uh, to give your kids early. Yeah. They can respect authority. Yes. We we have a crown room, and in the crown room, I just sit in my throne. That's where your Miss America, or Miss America throne is, right? Your, the yeah. crown that you have there? Well, we just, yeah, we just call it the restroom. Okay. Oh. But uh, I have the special room where I go, and I just am all by myself. And then when I come out, they're all like, hello, father, papa, doctor. His Excellency. And you don't tolerate them getting that name wrong either. No. Or it's <laughs> off to the dungeons with you. Oh, parenting. It's such a joy. You guys have little kids that are always home. I have older kids that are rarely home. And then when they call, you'd think they'd call to say, Father, I just wanted to express my love for you. Wow. But they don't. They're more like, I need a ride. What a horrible existence you lead. I know. It's awesome. How do you deal with that daily? I just come listen to the show. Okay, great. It is very uplifting at times. It's very uh, – there have been times that it was greatly uplifting. And then there's other days. Uh-oh. Where it's a little more depressing. A lot of headlines going on with uh, Republicans. A couple of them are now revolting. They're, they're rebelling. They're going against the GOP even. Right. Now they're taking they're, on the president. As I read before, they're untethered from the electorate. Untethered. They no longer need to be reelected, so now it's game on. And they're taking on President Trump. Uh, that's Senator Corker. That's Senator Flake. Yep. <laughs> you need a sounder for Flake now. That, okay. Okay, go, sound, go figure out what a Flake sounds All like. All right. Uh, and by the way, Flake had ancestors that founded Snowflake, Arizona. Pretty cool little fact that a lot of people didn't the know. The flake part of that city is named after his family. The snow would be the snow family, descendants of the snows. There you go. The flakes. Flakes. Uh, but it's game on. He's not going to run. And that means great. Trump's going to go back his person and supposedly that person will get in. I don't know. I mean, is there going to be well, now with the, flake out the of the race? The woman that was like the chief challenger in Arizona, I forget her name, but she is um, – She's controversial in the Republican Party in Arizona. Ah. Kind of a conspiracy theorist type person, kind of... Was she, wasn't she abducted? Maybe. Okay. There's like some crazy comments. If you look them up, she's had some uh, weird sort of... Yeah. 
statements about random things. So who hasn't? Who hasn't? Who hasn't been abducted? What they're expecting is no. that now that oh. Flake is out, that there'll be a bunch more people jump into the race, and okay. there'll be a primary. Yeah, there'll be a lot of money tossed around, fists to cuffs, maybe. Mm. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be it'll be a good fight, and then they'll run against the Democrat and lose. Well, no, the Democrat will lose. Sorry. Oh, the Democrat will lose. Yeah, it's just the Republicans are going to win, so the primary is going to be the election. Boy. As it is in so many places in this country now. Uh, What would be great is maybe if somebody that really could lose a seat to a Democrat would start speaking. Ah. Because that might make the president have to stand up and start being a little nicer to some of these senators. Nah. And a certain group of the of the population would say, hey, he, we didn't hire him to be nice. Hired him to to be real and strong. Mm. The problem is you got to be nice. That's what we teach our kids. Wrong. <laughs> at some point, democracy demands that we at least be respectful. You're wrong. Hmm. It demands that we treat each other as fellow human beings. Bing, bing, bing. Okay. What was that? I don't know. Okay. That's Donald. Bing, bing, bing. You got sidetracked. Anyway, you just think we could just love one another. No. This is about winning, Matt. It's not about actually. The funny thing is they're not winning. They think they are. But they're not. They're passing really important legislation. When are they going to do that? They did yesterday. We'll talk about it. They passed several things yesterday. While everyone's in the hallways fighting about things, they're actually in the Senate chambers passing bills and moving them to the House, moving them to President Trump. It's easy to pass something in one chamber. Sure. But now now we have bills going to Trump that could change, you know, financial institutions and all kinds of things. People are bored of that. They want to see people fight in the hallways. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. Okay. Let's let's get to the headlines. And then will somebody remind me to, to... I bought something on a store that I love online. Mm. It rhymes with Blamazon. Okay. Hmm. And I had a surprise. Really? And I didn't. It, uh, in the box? Uh, made me mad. Was it in the box? No. It was just. Wait. In, once I bought, once I purchased the thing. Oh, oh okay. I know what you got in the mail. No? No, I do. No, I don't think you did. Oh, no, I think I do. I don't think you're even on the same ballpark. Okay. Wow. We'll find out. <laughs> We'll find out this straight is ahead. Stuff. It's it's it's, it's, it's and so I'm just throwing this out there. Pay okay. attention to this one thing, because I got a really good deal. You tend to always ask about that one thing. There's this one thing, and I got this. I got this really good deal, and then now I know why I got the good deal. All right. Okay. Let's Terry, let's hit the headlines. As we were speaking of, uh, Republican Senator Jeff Flake presented a powerful criticism of President Trump and his complicit colleagues when he took the Senate floor Tuesday to announce his decision not to run for re-election in 2018. It's time for our complicity and our accommodation of the unacceptable to end, Flake said. Prior to his speech, Flake had told the Arizona Republic that there may not be a place for a Republican like me in the current Republican climate or the current Republican Party. He offered no hesitation on that subject Tuesday, telling his colleagues that the GOP has become a fearful, backward-looking minority party. Anger anger and resentment are not a governing philosophy, he said firmly. Yeah, it's a good point. (laughs) (laughs) Anger is not a great governing philosophy. We'll see where this goes. On Tuesday, the Senate voted 82-17 to to pass a 36 
$1.5 billion disaster aid package, which has already been approved by the House and is expected to be signed by President Trump. The bill includes $18.7 billion for uh, Federal Emergency Management Agency's Disaster Relief Program, $16 billion for the National Flood Insurance Program, nearly $600 million to fight wildfires, and funding for nutrition assistance to help low-income residents of Puerto Rico, still reeling from Hurricane Maria. All of the no votes, there were 17 of them, were from Republicans who said they had issues with various parts of the legislation. On Tuesday, the Department of Interior proposed sharply raising fees next year at 17 highly visited national parks during peak visitor seasons, typically May through September. The infrastructure of our national parks is aging and in need of renovation and restoration, says Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke. Targeted, what, what about families? Targeted fee increases at some of our most visited parks will help ensure that they are protected and preserved in perpetuity and that visitors enjoy a world-class experience that miners the that mirrors the amazing destinations they are visiting. Under the hmm. proposal, which is open for public comment until November 23rd, so if you want to make a comment in a public vi- uh, way, I'll you can do that. I'll just make it right here right now. Uh, it's probably something online. Entry fees would be raised to $70 per car from the typical 30 and $30 per pedestrian or cyclist from 15. What if you're not going to walk in, cycle in, or drive in? What if you're, gonna, what if you're like, just going to crawl in? There's like bus rates or something, too. So, yeah. I, so it says there would be an annual pass specific for each part for 70 bucks. The plan would raise oh. the projected $70 million for maintenance and repairs, or 0.01% of the $700 billion Congress is approved for the Pentagon next year. So you, you can still do an annual pass for $70. Right. But, but do you have to wait in all the lines? But, I mean, if you're just yeah. down there for one day, it's still 70 bucks. Do they have a fast pass where you can get no. in front of the line? There's no fast uh, federal gate. Can they you feed the animals? Will they carry me up the mountain like a Sherpa? Uh, you could probably hire some people, and they'd have to come in with you. They'd probably have to pay would 70 Would they be bucks. federal employees, or would those be outsourced <laughs> contra- contractors? Probably outsourced. Does, does that come with or without a churro? <laughs> so the targeted national parks include Arches, Denali, which could be Mount McKinley, you yeah. never know, uh, Glacier, Grand Canyon, Grand Teton, Joshua Tree, Yellowstone, Yosemite, and Zions. Oh, Those are some of blasted. the targeted ones. And finally, on Monday, the Iditarod Trail Committee identified four-time champion Dallas Seavey <gasps> as a musher whose dogs tested positive for banned substances. Oh, droids. The <laughs> opioid pain reliever Tramadol. After initially declining to release oh, the guy's name, man. citing legal advice uh, and a lack of proof, apparently. A group of 83 current and former competitors in the 1,000-mile Alaska dog sled race has demanded Monday morning that the committee identify the suspected musher within 72 hours, prompting an emergency meeting. After the meeting, the Iditarod organizers said they had decided to name CV due to the level of unhealthy speculation involved in this matter. Man, Alaska's having a tough time. <sighs> Higher prices, drug dogs, doping sled dogs. You know, but all you have to do is look at the dogs. They they look like Mark McGuire. They're wow. huge. If they well, can no, talk, it's, it's painkillers, not steroids. Yeah, that's what it's, they it's so they just keep running through the pain. Oh, that's so horrible. Yeah, that's why it's bad for the dog. If they're talking, I mean, it's good for the that's musher, good bad thing. for the dog. Yeah. That is. By the way, the guy accused has said he is innocent. Well, he, uh, he yeah. did not drug his dogs. No, someone else did. Like someone in his family. The the you know. It it is odd because they said they wouldn't release his name because of legal matters, and then it says because of a lack of proof. 
of well, the intent to dope. And it's like, well, how did you accuse someone unless you had some sort of feeling that they did something? It was an accidental doping. Is that what it was? Yeah. Hmm. Well, it's easy to be a dope. I've noticed. Really? Mm-hmm. I mean, from from your dopery, hanging out with people. But like the, specifically, what part of your day are you speaking of? All day. Really, just dopes from beginning to end. Dopers. You wake we don't up, call them dopes. You wake up and it's everyone's a dope all the way to the end of the day. The funny thing about this is that you, the proof is he can't. They can't prove his intent, but they could prove the dogs. All the dogs had too many painkillers on board. It didn't say that though. They said they had a lack of lack of proof of intent. You can't prove intent by having a lot of dope in someone's body or a dog's body. Right. Intent, they can't prove that way, but they can it's prove true. the dogs had a lot of dope. I just think the, they've lost this whole case at the investigation level. Yeah. The what chain, they need the is chain, a molar. chain of evidence. It's gone. Yeah, it's a good point. So speaking of drugs, I had thought when you said you opened up your pack or you, you ordered something. Yeah, from Blamazon. And I had read. By the way, my favorite place on earth. Yes. I mean, next to my home, of course. Yeah. Uh, I had heard that somebody had opened up a package and found cocaine. No. So I thought maybe that was no. you. It was I actually, ordered. There was a bunch of marijuana. I ordered oh, a marijuana. watch band. I found a watch band that I wanted because I want to keep sporting a really sporty look of my watchery. And I ordered a watch band and I thought, what a sweet deal. Like this is a really inexpensive watch band for what, I mean, people could pay. And only – one percent of the people, uh, the comments about the watch band, only one percent said that their arm was burning after wearing the band. So <laughs> oh, I'm thinking, yeah, it's a good that's buy. High, that's high praise. Because what are the odds that I will fall into the one percent? I've never right. really fallen into the one percent. Right. So um, my, I'm pretty sure I won't get third degree burns from this watch band. But I ordered it, got a sweet deal. I even had Honeybee validate that it was the best price I could have gotten online. Mm. I get that too. That's great. Honeybee is my great friend. On helps me shop effectively. I was so excited. Put the order through. Boom! Did it. I got free shipping. Free. And guess what? Doesn't arrive till January. Yeah. Till January. Where's it coming from? Uh, I don't know, like the Xingping yeah. province. It's coming from China. <laughs> Anything that has to cross the Pacific, you lose your two day. Yeah, you lose like you, I think you lose your two month. You might lose that too. So I'm totally disappointed. So I'm just throwing that out there to people when you're shopping. Like I, 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 I let's say I was doing this for Christmas shopping. Let's just say I blew it. It's not even going to come until no. January fifteenth. Well, at least you didn't open it up to realize there was marijuana in it. Well, that would have been bad. Yeah. I was trying to buy emoji slippers for my my, – it was kind of a gag gift for my brother. Right. And um, You love emojis. Sure. Own it. I'm not going to tell you which emoji, but they were slippers and it was an emoji. Oh, I think I know which one. And um, yeah, there was probably like 20 different versions you could pick from and you click on some and you wouldn't get them for five months. Wow. Because they were shipping from overseas. Or they others, just, they're so popular. Others were shipping from in countries, so they're able to get here to where I was faster. So just to, you have to watch that. Yeah. Sometimes you just click and go and you don't look at the shipping. And sometimes they add extra shipping because it's international versus mm-hmm. local or what, you know. So you have to keep an eye. You just start clicking, you'll, you'll all of a sudden pay more for less. No, I think I actually I found some. I think, is this what you were ordering? Yeah, I was buying those. 
Ah. Yeah, those are those are hard to get. Not a big hit with with my brother, but my nephews thought they were hilarious. Oh yeah. I love it. Who doesn't love pudding? Uh, let's get to the the empty news headlines, Jeffrey. What's going on around uh, the empty world? So we're going to play, once again, we are going to play, what are we calling it again? Matt Libs. And the crowd oh, goes the crowd, wild. I, it's a huge, we've done it a couple of times. It's a, it's a huge hit. Yeah. So I've got three stories. Yes, Slight variations on each one. You and have to guess which one is real. So only one of these three stories would be the real story. Correct. Because we get a lot of weird stories. That's right. So I now have to decide. Okay. Okay. Let me think. So you've heard of smashing pumpkins. Oh, yeah. Great, man. But have you heard of slapping pumpkins? No. Police say a 33-year-old Florida man repeatedly slapped a prize-winning pumpkin at the Metro West Elementary School Fall Festival. Witnesses say George Waldner, who does not have any children attending Metro West, started booing when the awards were announced. He then took his frustration out on the awards themselves, the defenseless Halloween pumpkins. Wow. When the school's principal tried to intervene, Waldner began to strike the baffled administrator. There you go. Polu- police soon arrived and arrested Waldner. Luckily, the first place pumpkin dubbed David S. Pumpkins only suffered minor trauma. Okay. Okay. So slapping pumpkins. Slapping pumpkins. Right. Okay, number two. Yes. You've heard the phrase, don't beat yourself up. Well, apparently there's at least one Florida man who hasn't heard that phrase. Police (laughs) say 19-year-old Serge Waldner repeatedly slapped himself in the face in a shopping mall. Serge Waldner was sitting near a fountain at the Florida Mall in Orlando early Sunday when the sudden attack occurred. Witnesses say Waldner was berating himself and his speech sounded slurred. Luckily, mall security was able to intervene before Waldner was able to cause any further damage to himself. Okay. And then number three. Slapping self, slapping pumpkins, or... You've heard the phrase, don't beat a dead horse. What about a live horse? Police say a 29-year-old Florida man slapped a police horse on the hindquarters while it was on patrol with an officer. Casey Waldner was walking down a street early Sunday when he was accused of slapping Izzy, a 13-year-old horse that has been with the Orlando Police Department for five years. The slap startled Izzy, who spun around. Waldner was charged with injuring a police horse and resisting arrest without violence. Holy cow. This is a really hard <laughs> version of Matt Libs. Yes. Okay. So it's fairly simple. Really? It's not smashing pumpkins because that would be a reference that only you would make. Why is that? Because you are one who would know smashing pumpkins and make this alliteration and think it was brilliant. I don't listen to smashing pumpkins. No, but you know the name. So that's let's but eliminate. You do too. Well, but let's eliminate number one. Okay. So now it's going to come down to a guy slapping himself or somebody slapping a police horse. And which would be more likely to get uh, into the newspaper mm-hmm. out of Florida? Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with I, – I think you're going to want me to go with the guy that slaps himself. Really? But in reality, we know that it's really just the guy slapping the police horse. Do you want the answer now or do you want the answer later? Well, let's do this. Let's get the answer later, but let's let everybody else vote on it. Tweet us at Dr. Matt Show. Give us your vote. So is it uh, slapping pumpkins? Slapping pumpkins, slapping self, or slapping a police horse? 
I'm going with slapping a police horse because I've actually seen you slap yourself. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it seems like that, that's got to be the right logic. I'm going with my gut. Slapping the horse is my, my pick. But tweet us at Dr. Matt Show. Give us your pick. What do you think is uh, the real Matt Lib uh, answer? What's the real story straight ahead? Up next, by the way, we're going to be talking about how the benefits of zoning out and daydreaming may uh, actually be additive, beneficial to your life. Do you have a favorite daydream? You know, as a kid, it may have been your pirating adventures on the high seas. Today, you may just daydream about taking a family vacation or maybe just a nap. Usually daydreaming is discouraged, but our guest, Dr. Josh Davis, argues that daydreaming has its benefits. He's the author of Two Awesome Hours and the Psychology Today article, How Zoning Out Benefits Your Present and Your Future. I spoke with uh, Dr. Josh Davis a few months ago, and uh, we're going to replay that interview for you right now. He began the interview by pointing out that daydreaming is usually discouraged in our society. Yeah, and nobody ever encouraged uh, kids to, to stare out the window more, you know, and uh it's always always about how they need to sit still and focus. Right. Uh, well, I mean, it turns out that daydreaming is probably there for a reason. You know, and you know what? When you look at this, is kind of a rule across different things uh, psychologically that we can do. If it's something that human beings can do, there's probably a time and a place where it's adaptive to do it. Hmm. And in this case, it turns out there's a lot more to daydreaming uh, on the positive side than we may have ever realized. Uh, you know there are i would say there's four different there's four different types of benefits that have been seen in research that i'm aware of and there may be others but at least these four that suggest that it's not only something that can be beneficial but that we're really kind of making our lives a lot harder uh making our work our cognitive work a lot harder if we don't give ourselves the time to daydream hmm. and um that that's interesting yeah we may have it's almost like we have a moral view of what it is, right? Like it's a waste. Like it's, I, I can, I. It's like it's naughty. Like don't do right. that. Focus. And yet, uh, like you're saying, it may be a disservice because humans apparently just do it naturally. So, what what are some of the benefits that we need to be that we could derive from daydreaming? Well, so one of them is um, there's one thing to understand is that. Uh, we have different networks in the brain that are active at different times, and one of those distinctions is that uh, in the front part of the brain, um, the part of the brain that's most different in human beings, uh, that's most important for the kinds of things that we think of as human functioning, self-control, uh, focused attention, being able to make deliberate conscious decisions, all that, that kind of stuff. Um, so in that part of the brain towards the front, we have one network that's more lateral, meaning towards the outside, the sides of the head, that is called the executive network that is important for staying focused on your goals um, and really driving towards a specific, a specific end, among other things. And then we have another network that's on the medial part of the brain, meaning towards the center, the midline in between the two hemispheres, that is very important for social processing, understanding ourselves and other people and how we relate. And the thing is, those two networks 
are anti-correlated in most research. That is, when you see one active, you see the other less active. Hmm. So the more that one's active, the less the other is active. So it's one or the other usually. One of the few times when those are both active at the same time is when we're daydreaming, when we're just kind of drifting, we're not paying attention to anything in particular, we're not focused hard on anything else, we're just our minds wandering. We see that those two, those two networks are, are active at the same time and can start to integrate. And so it's one of those rare times when we can be finding ways that our goals can maybe be linked up with our, our ideas about ourselves and our social lives. Huh. And that's a, a critical thing for actually succeeding uh, in a congruent way with what you're trying to accomplish. So that's one. It's like, it's like operationalizing our vision. I think it goes a long way towards that, yeah. That if you've got an idea about you know, who you want to be, a vision for yourself, uh, you know, that that can then become integrated with what you're trying to accomplish. But is it, I guess so. Maybe explain to us daydreaming before we get to these other ones. Is it is it just when we're sitting there visioning? Is or is it really when like if I'm sitting there, um, I don't know, thinking in my head about being a pirate and taking over a pirate ship? Then it's all fantasy. Is that a different quality of a daydream than me envisioning I could be president of the United States? Right. Well, so from a research perspective, uh, the, the, the definition has been essentially that you are thinking about something besides the task at hand. Hmm. And so that could be uh, either of those as well as many other things. It could also be some kind of sort of anxious rumination or it can be thinking about something positive that's going to happen. And there's some interesting research emerging now that there, there may be differences between the two in terms of uh, how beneficial they can be. But, uh, but essentially, it's just the distinction is that you're not paying it. You're not thinking about the task at hand. So and so, what, yeah, you're right? o- yeah, you're off yeah. task. Off task, exactly. Now, being off task, though, there's a critical distinction, though, which is that we might think, okay, well, you know, I'm trying to work on, let's say, a paper that I'm writing if I'm a college student or I'm trying to work on a report, I, you know, an, an analysis I have to do, let's say, if I'm working in a bank or something like that, that... Uh, you know, you have your task that you're that you're working on, and sometimes when we're off task, what we do is we try to do something that feels refreshing or feels like we're making good use of our time, like checking email or reading the news or shopping online or you know something something else that feels a little bit lighter. But when we're doing that, we're actually taking in new information, so we're not daydreaming. Our minds aren't wandering. We're off task, but our minds aren't wandering. Hmm. We're processing new information. So the key is, that there's two criteria. You need to be off task, but not tracking new information, so that the mind is actually free to wander wherever it goes. And those, when you've got those two things happening, then you're daydreaming. Okay, and, and yet, yeah, you're still you're still experiencing work. You're still, I guess, taking in data, but your brain is also kind of on a vacation. <laughs> That's right. And the technical technical term for it in psychology research would be that you're not taxing your working memory. So working memory is, is when we're trying to hold things in mind, mm. when we're trying to keep track of information and hold it consciously in mind. So if you're, just, if you're just looking out the window, for example, one of the best ways to daydream that there is, because you're just noticing things. You don't have to hold anything in mind. And it does tend to help people get off track because uh, there's interesting visual things happening, looking at other people, for example. This is interesting because uh, in uh, I teach a lot of communication theory and dialogue theory, and sometimes you need to be really good at suspending 
um, like what's going on in the moment and just kind of let it be and play out. And I wonder if that isn't a little bit of this, too, where I mean, I guess your working memory is still happening, but I'm able to kind of suspend my judgment of it. That's interesting. I hadn't uh, heard that connection before. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, that there's there's a lot. Ha- essentially, what's happening is that there's a lot going on in the background. There's a lot of non-conscious processing um, when we're, in fact, I, I think, you know, some estimates and these have to just be complete rough estimates. There'd be no way to know a percentage. But, you know, I think if you look at Kahneman's book, Thinking Fast and Slow, I believe, you know, he he makes an estimate about, you know, some you know, vast majority, I, don't, I forget the percentage, uh, of our thinking is really driven by the, the non-conscious processing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, the, you know, I think, I think just about everybody would agree who studies, this kind of, who studies these kind of phenomena that m- well more than half of, of our thinking is non-conscious, right? So there's a lot going right. on in the background non-consciously. There's this, and it tends to be of the form of pattern recognition. So you know, you come across a problem you've, you've seen before, you don't exactly know how to solve it, but it's similar to something you've seen before. And so those are weak signals in the background, but they can come together when you give them a chance. And if you're consciously really focused, if you keep on focused on the same problem and you keep trying to take in new information, you don't give that a chance to kind of simmer and come to the surface, hmm. those connections to occur. So I think any kind of work where there needs to be some amount of creativity if you if you do give a chance for some mind wandering, when your mind starts to wander, if you let it happen, then you're likely to actually be able to take advantage of that non-conscious processing. Yeah, and I guess and unleash some more creativity. And I guess too, because it would also take you to different parts of your mind. I'm assuming, and you know, maybe bring different ideas, different angles to back to the issue at hand when you get back there. Uh huh. And that's the second big benefit uh, from research about mind-wandering, creativity, hmm. that it's been shown to be uh, quite reliable, actually, uh, for coming to creative solutions. So what will what happen is that if you're working on a problem, if, let's say, you're trying to figure out, you know, uh, what are the topics I really need to cover, you know, this month uh, on the show, or, you know, for me, how, how am I going to put together this chapter in the book, or a marketing director, like, you know, what's the, what's what needs to go into this pitch to really make it powerful? Mm-hmm. You know, how are we going to build this brand? Something where there isn't one obvious solution. So that would be something creative. So it doesn't have to be design work to be creative, but something where there isn't one obvious solution. There could be many solutions. Then we need a creative solution there. And so if you've been thinking about it, and then you daydream, and it can even be just for a few minutes, and then you come back to it, you're likely to come up with more creative solutions, and those solutions are likely to be rated as more creative. Hmm. The way that, that's studied is there are some very common creativity tests that can be done in a laboratory setting. For example, you give somebody an object, and you say, come up with as many ideas as you can, and then somebody else who's not part of the study rates that for how creative the ideas are. And, uh, and so you can get a good sense of how creative people are being. Now, what happens, though, is that we're, we, are, we, we become more creative with those things we were working on before we daydreamed. Hmm. It doesn't just make us more creative in general. Yeah. So, 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 if yeah, so you have right, to have a exactly. problem. You have to kind of be focusing on the problem, I guess, and, and, I, and probably in deep into the problem. And then, and then I guess you can get people – I mean, this is interesting. I'm just trying to think how you operationalize this with your team out there. 
then I just say, okay, let's stop the discussion about the problem for a minute and then go do some activity where they can just think whatever they want to? So that's one great way of doing it. Another way is to trust that those moments will happen later on in the day when they're going to be creative and have some way of capturing that at another time. Um, You can also just have breaks that are where you really encourage people to just have some downtime and not be checking their email during the breaks, like where the breaks are built in just to let people kind of go get a drink of water, Mm -hmm. things like that. So there can be specific tasks, there can be open breaks, and there can be trusting that the opportunities will come later. Yeah, just kind of trust. It's natural. It's a human process. And then, like you said, the going back to the first benefit, it'll it'll engage the entire, I guess, prefrontal cortex to play with both sides of the of the the higher brain. I call it. Hmm. Right. You're gonna you're gonna get you're gonna get uh, more access to this non-conscious activity as well as more integration of some of the circuits Mm. uh, in the prefrontal cortex. I love this. Uh, Josh, let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Josh Davis, uh, who is the author of the book, Two Awesome Hours, and uh, a Psychology Today article that we found called How Zoning uh, Out Benefits Your Present and Your Future. Zoning out, folks. There's benefits to it. Uh, apparently, it increases your creativity. It helps you use more of your uh, your higher kind of processing brain. Um, we'll take a break, come back, continue to discuss more of the benefits on zoning out on daydreaming, how it really might be your friend, not your foe. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Josh Davis is joining us. Uh, Dr. Uh, Davis is the author of Two Awesome Hours, Science-Based Strategies to Harness Your Best Time and Get Your Most Important Work Done. He's also the contributor to a Psychology Today article that we're discussing, How Zoning Out Benefits Your Present and Your Future. Dr. Davis is the Director of Research and Lead Professor for um, the uh, NLP Center of New York and is a, is a, a writer as well on Psychology Today. Uh, Dr. Davis, welcome back to the show. Hi. Well, uh, thank you. This is so uh, – to me, this is so interesting because, again, we're fighting against the tradition. You know, grandma, everybody, you know, focus. They might hit you on the head with a ruler at school because you weren't paying attention. But apparently daydreaming – it uh, it has some serious uh, benefits to us. One, it helps us utilize our prefrontal cortex, I guess is what we're calling it, the, the kind of the higher executive relating brain. Um, it also helps us increase our creativity. What are some other benefits that uh, we can derive from daydreaming? One of the other things that uh, daydreaming has been shown to be useful for is what we call autobiographical planning. So thinking about your own life, how to plan out those things that you want to achieve that are personally relevant to you. So, you know, when minds wander, uh, first of all, uh, they tend to actually wander to the future. Um, that uh, when we when we ruminate, when we just sort of drift, we tend to, we're more likely to be thinking about the future, it turns out. And this should come as no surprise, but everybody um, has, tends to think about themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I, I can remember one time as a teenager that, 
um, I was I forget who I must have been talking to. Maybe it was some some girl I wanted to impress, and and I was I was talking with my mom. I was all nervous, and and she said, "Do you want to know? Do you want to know what they were thinking about you?" And I said, "Yeah, I do." <laughs> I do. And she said. They weren't. They were thinking about themselves. <laughs> you know, kind of, that's true, though, uh, huh? Lesson learned, yeah. Yeah. So, but th- that's that's what happens when when our minds drift. We tend to think about ourselves, and we tend to think about the future. Now, um, there are some benefits to that. One is that, on average, people do have rose-colored glasses when it comes to the future. Uh, if you've seen those Prudential commercials where they've got the Harvard professor and he's he's having people put stickers with different colors on the the past and the future. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and so they represent whether it's something positive or something negative. And in the past, it's all, it's pretty evenly mixed. In the future, it's mostly positive stuff. So we imagine positive things. There's adaptive value to doing that. This sort of, this belief that things can work out seems to be useful in helping people to work more on achieving that. That We know that believing that something is possible goes a long way towards making it happen. Um, so lots of ways in which self-fulfilling prophecies do occur in, in research. Um, so, you know, with that, then, uh, when we drift, when our minds do wander, those are some of the things that are most hmm. relevant to us, that we're thinking about most. So it's an opportunity to kind of sort out, without even trying to, how you're going to get to where you want to be in your life. Um, now, sometimes, of course, there's negative rumination, and it's anxiety. Anxiety, by the way, is about the future, pretty much. Yeah worried about whether something will have happened in the past you're worried about something whether something will happen in the future and on the on the flip side though then there's also sort of hope or excitement but they tend to be about the future so that helps us sort out how we're going to get to where we want to go and if we're not doing that we're very much stuck in a reactive kind of mode to whatever work is coming up right there's a a third benefit of of mind wandering and and it seems like uh, even on a subconscious level if if I can see myself becoming the next thing I want to become in my life and I can play it out, even if it's ov- overly positive, even naively optimistic, uh, I, I guess it's still teaching me on some level that it's doable and this is how it could even happen and this is how it would feel. And I guess that's the neat thing about our brain is we can actually experience it without even having it yet. It is one of the, you know, one of the great abilities of the human mind. It's the ability to imagine something that isn't present, that hasn't happened. And of course, we don't know if other animals can do it, but we mm-hmm. know that humans can, and we can think about something that isn't actually occurring in the moment. And what happens is if we can imagine the future, then we can actually achieve it more easily because, well, first of all, we can actually think about logical steps to get there, but even if we haven't done that, we're actually activating the same kind of circuitry that will be relevant to taking the action in the future. Yeah. So I, you know, there's, and that, that's actually one of the, the strongest, best-known, research-based ways of, it, of instilling a new habit, is to literally, in your mind, imagine when and where, what environmental trigger is going to lead you to take the new habit. So if I'm trying to, to eat less ice cream at night, you know, then I can picture myself, if I imagine actually walking in uh, you know, after dinner, the precise new behavior that I'm going to take, and I picture when and where I'll be, I'm activating the same circuitry that's going to be relevant in that moment when it is after dinner, mm-hmm. and I choose something else instead of ice cream. Um, so, so that kind of activating of the circuitry ahead of time. 
does increase the likelihood that we'll do it when that, the time comes. That is, that is it's amazing. And again, it's just how many kids have been out in the backyard shooting hoops, thinking they're going to be winning that game-winning shot, and you know they might even find themselves in a situation to have a game-winning th- shot. Talk about your fourth, uh, the fourth benefit of daydreaming. Yeah, so this one, this one is really fun. Um, uh, are you familiar with the famous marshmallow study? You bet. Stanford, yeah. So, so real quick for anyone listening who may not be, uh, you know, you give, you you put a marshmallow in front of a four-year-old, and you tell the four-year-old, you can have this marshmallow, but if you wait, and you don't tell them how long, right, so an indefinite amount of time for a four-year-old, if you wait until I come back, you can have this other treat that we already know this particular kid prefers, right? Right. So it turns out some of the kids actually wait the whole time, which is 15 minutes. Right? And, and end up getting the other treat. And then some kids give in at different points, and some kids give in right away. Now, that ends up being predictive of so many things. So Walter Michel did this work uh, almost 50 years ago, I believe, and has tracked this, these kids through life. It predicts things like SAT scores and marital satisfaction and job success and all kinds of things, you know, the, the, the ability to hold out and wait. Now, it turns out, though, that it's not just the ability, though. It's not just something that that you're that's that you're born with that's special about these kids but it's something they were doing and that's uh that dr michelle spent time really figuring out what were these kids doing that was different in the, in the two hmm. and the kids who were holding out were reframing the situation as something else they were reframing the challenge as something besides just trying to not eat the marshmallow and then that's what made it possible so they were they were rethinking what they were dealing with so the kids who gave in right away they were thinking about how tasty the marshmallow would be. The kids who waited, they were thinking about uh, it as like a puffy cloud that they were looking at (laughs) or a game, or they were thinking about what would happen, like how much they wanted the other treat, you know, that was going to come later. Right. They had a different way of thinking about the challenge. And what daydreaming allows us to do is to rethink the situation so that it's easier to hold out for something better. And again, it's sort of that element of being just kind of less reactive to the moment, but being able to kind of have that opportunity to rethink so that we can hold out for something better. Interesting. So it strengthens us, and it it probably even makes more tasty or delicious the prize. (laughs) It does. It does. Interesting. So it really is. It's kind of a character building. It's a distraction. But it's a it's a distraction that actually helps us to reframe our challenges in life. It does, and when so what we do so here's here's why I think it's so important to talk about this issue. It's not just that you know it's sort of an interesting aside about mind wandering. Did you know that actually it has these benefits? But if you think about what we're not getting in the ways that we often live these days, that. We, you know, you're, you're sitting in front of your computer, you're working constantly, and then you want to take a break. What do you do? You pull up your phone or you go to a different website. It's sort of this constant intake of media, mm-hmm. right? So we actually were, were blocking so many of the opportunities for mind-wandering that we used to have. And oh, when we're yeah. blocking those opportunities, we're not getting this, this, this autobiographical planning this creativity, this, you know, integration of neural circuits, uh, you know, the holding out for something better. It's not that we're not getting that at all, but we're not getting as much of it, you know, because we, we don't have those opportunities. So we're actually, we're actually interfering with um, some things that would really make our work a lot easier. 
uh, if by 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 living in a way where we're blocking a lot of the mind wandering that could be there. Yeah, it's almost like it's kind of reactive versus proactive. Mind wandering, daydreaming is a, it seems like proactive uh, wandering versus you know being on your phone is more reactive wandering. It's it's the information. It's it's. It's it's wasting time reactively by the media coming to us versus us going out and generating using our brain to generate these other things. And so before today, did you expect you to find yourself saying that mind-wandering is proactive? Well, actually, I always have found it very beneficial to get away from my uh-huh. life that way. <laughs> no, but, uh-huh. you know, and I, and I, I do I, – I use it a lot in the autobiography sense in – imagining envisioning but the funny thing is i still have this pang of guilt if i do it too much and i'm i'm never sure if that guilt is justified like am i overdoing this or if it's just kind of socialized <laughs> well there probably would be no way to know uh if it's too much but you know you know you can always come back to what really matters am i enjoying my life? Do I have work-life balance? Am I succeeding at the things I want to succeed at? You know, like, and, and if you are, then it's probably not too much, you know? So right. there's, there's, uh, the thing is also with mind-wandering that some of the things that are really good for it, like staring out the window, what I, another thing I like about them is that there's this, this built-in endpoint that you don't get if you go online and start, you know, reading the news or yeah. Facebook or email, you know, because there you can be lost for an hour. But if you start, if you stare out the window, you're going to get bored. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, five minutes later, that you've had enough. You're going to drift back to work. So you'll be back to work more quickly, usually, if you really let yourself do something that's that's good for mind wandering. If you stand up and just, you know, take a walk, or if you, you know, if you have a balcony or something, step outside and get some fresh air, or, you know, something like that. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I mean, and we we see it right here, Josh, in our offices. They're building a a new building between. Uh, our building and the the Marriott Center basketball court where BYU plays, and uh, we have students all the time, people, faculty, everybody, all the time, just standing there, watch, looking out the window, and you, uh-huh. you you think, are we wasting time? But you're, I mean, they don't. No one stays there for like three hours. It's a few right. minutes, and then you do kind of get bored. And yeah. okay, back to work. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, I would say. What I would say is this, and this is what I do say to people whenever I get the chance, if your mind wants to wander, let it. And the thing is, trust that if you just indulge in that, you'll really give yourself a chance to kind of switch off and your mind goes wherever it goes, is that you're actually probably going to spend more time on task working on the stuff that matters. Mm. Yeah. And you're, you're also engaging and exercising your brain in other ways. Dr. Josh Davis, thank you so much. Great stuff. Uh, again, Go, go check out the book, um, Two Awesome Hours, Science-Based Strategies to Harness Your Best Time and Get Your Most Important Work Done. And also look him up on Psychology Today. He has a wonderful blog there called Your Mental Toolkit, where you can get many, many articles uh, by Dr. Josh Davis. Thank you so much. Again, trying to elevate your game, help you understand uh, a lot of the things that are going on inside your head and how they impact your life. Give it up now for the House of Bouse. Welcome to her house. She is looking about. She is here to break down things you didn't Her know name is now. McKenna Bouse. We call her Bouse in the house. She comes in with a little mind bender, tries to blow our minds up with uh, either latest research or just a little an issue, yeah. a conundrum. 
That is the goal. And uh, today we're going to be talking about how everyone everyone kind of cops an attitude about something that's going on. Like I was mad today at Amazon, but it really had nothing to do with Amazon. I love Amazon. It's like my favorite place on earth, uh, next to my home, of course. And But I bought something. I got a great deal, incredible deal. And then I ordered it and found out it won't be here for three months, really till January. Don't you love when that happens? Ah. It's the worst. So then I think, oh, I'm going to get back. Yeah. But we don't get back. Exactly. A lot of times as customers, we see companies that do things that bother us, whether it's poor service yeah. or in a lot of times, you know, we feel like the company is behaving unethically in some way. For example, earlier this year, huge issues that yeah. people were having with United Airlines, Wells Fargo, Uber, Wells yeah. Fargo Uber, yeah. and Amazon too. A lot yeah. of people are frustrated with Amazon because they feel like it's putting mom and pa shops out of business, totally. which it is It probably true. is. And so a lot of times as consumers, you know, we see these things happening and we're like, that's just awful. Travesty. And, you know, we, we get really frustrated. We say, we're going to boycott this. Uh-huh. And then we don't. Nope. Because um, we all love a good deal. But it's like a good threat. And at the beginning, it's a great threat. But at some point, we really need a good deal. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so it sort of like puts consumers in this bit of a bind because yeah. – you know, they, there's that financial pressure, but then there's also that sort of ethical pressure. And no matter what decision you make, yeah. you end up feeling torn. That was the big – was it American Airlines that got in trouble or United? I can't no, remember. No, several airlines. But it's been more we, Everyone was so mad about that. But then all they needed to do is give discount rates for a day or two and everyone forgets about it. Is it – are we just that – are we that weak? Um, Pretty much, yeah. We're that driven by the market. Yeah, the thing is, is – They've done studies and they're like, well, do people who get more upset, do they tend to be better about sticking to these boycotts? And no. no. There tends to be about zero correlation. And in some ways, the people who are more passionate about these issues tend to be less consistent about the boycotts. Um, they just are more upset about their lack of consistency between yeah. their values and how they're spending their money. Oh, boy. And so a big thing um, that can happen is instead of focusing on boycotts, if you really want to feel like you're going to be able to make a difference because boycotts tend to be ineffective, focus on bad press. If boycotts alone don't do a huge difference in influencing these companies' decisions, if they get bad press, though, which can sometimes come from boycotts, but if they get bad press, they're more likely to make changes. And so focusing on the press instead of the wallet that's a great idea. Effective. Does the press um, – the, I guess the press though, how, how, what, what can I do to get them bad press? So if you find out something is you know, happening, you know, there's always the option of reaching out to local media saying like, hey, this happened. Oh, there's yeah. social media going on there trying to get involved and engaged in conversations happening online. That's it. You could, you could try to you know, see if you can get a message out there virally that – more and more people would pick up. Yeah, complain or about you know, if more. there are these conversations already happening, Ooh, boost should, them just, on your own If you're channels. sharing it with your own group, I mean, that, they don't like that either. I mean, it's still it might only be 500 people. Yeah, but, but it, it's 500 it people that know you. Yeah, and another interesting way that you can try and ease your conscience a bit in these situations is through how you manage your investments. Um, For example, there's people who are really concerned about, say, the environment, global warming, and aren't really happy with, 
you know, fossil fuel companies. Right. There are specific kind of like mutual funds, things like that, that are oh, yeah. curated around the idea of only supporting companies with certain ethical standards that idea. you yeah. agree with. And so that way you can sort of invest money-wise in the long-term issues mm-hmm. and feel like you're doing some good. And walk your talk. Yeah, while still realizing I might have to buy from Amazon today. That's why we have McKenna Bouse, Bouse in the house, to help us stay on the straight and narrow path. Uh, Jeffrey, you gave us a little mat libs. We had three choices between three stories. What were they? Slapping a pumpkin? Slapping, slapping self yourself or slapping a police horse. And you guessed. I guess police horse. Was I right or wrong? Oh, was I right? You got it. I'm telling you, I read you like a book. But those were really <laughs> good ones. So if you were out there playing in listener land, don't slap a police horse. Seems like a no-brainer. That's uh, hour number two of the program. Uh, the BBC is up next. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Jeffrey Liam Simpson and uh, Terry South. Jeffrey is in a whole other level of happy today. <laughs> Sorry, that sounded spooky. That sounded like Count, yeah, count Dracula. <laughs> like you're counting. <laughs> I am counting. You're... One win down, three to go. He loves the Dodgers. I am personally going for the Astros because I love America. But you just admitted that, that the, Do- the Dodgers will win. Yeah, but I don't want them to. Is this just, you know, to to get on my nerves? No, I just really think Houston needs it more than L.A. What about all the fires in L.A.? Are you pro-fires? Burning down homes, Matt <laughs> no, Townsend? but those fires are – they're bad. They're bad. But <laughs> L.A. has other things going for it. The smog? You have smog. You love smog. You a lot of traffic. You, you love traffic? Cra- crazy uh, Hollywood. Earthquakes. Staples you, Center. You love earthquakes. You have earthquakes. You have the ocean. Mm-hmm. The dirty ocean. It's There's clean parts. Can't everyone just win? I want. I just no. want Houston to have something to celebrate. They won an American League title. They're, by the way, they're doing incredibly well in basketball. I think they're having a good start. Three really? or four and oh. I think it's maybe three and oh. How many games to go? Uh, I don't know. A lot. <laughs> don't bring that up. No, but I mean, this is no matter what happens, this is an amazing World Series because it's rare that you get two teams that won over 100 games during the regular season. Yeah. It's been, uh, I think they said it's, it hasn't happened since the 70s or so. And it's, and the game, last night's game was one of the fastest World Series games in 25 years or whatever. Yeah. It's huge. It's Move like it turned around and it was over. It was, it was over. It takes me a long time to turn around. I turned it on and it was the seventh inning. Yeah. And they didn't, they were like, we don't even need to stretch. <laughs> we have no need to stretch. We're stretched. It's good. This thing's gone so fast. Like, there is no stretchery here. Yeah. Made up a word there. Uh, we got a lot to cover today. We're going to, of course, get into the headlines and uh, talk about what's going on with Corker and uh, Flake senators, two, two senators that have, uh, 
They're no longer running, and because they're no longer running, they feel untethered. They feel free to say whatever is on their mind, and what they're saying is they don't like what the president's doing. They think the president – Corker was asked, do you think he's a liar? He says, we don't use the L word in our family growing up. (laughs) So – but he does have a really difficult time with the truth. This is – I mean this is kind of a dream for a lot of people to know that you're on your way out of a job and you can say anything you want. See, President – or Senator McCain was was in a similar situation because of his uh, brain tumor and he was free to say whatever he wants. And even that was getting – he was getting backlash from the president. But now you have Collins and McCain and Flake and Corker. You have four of them now going pretty much – at the president. Do you think these guys are going to start uh, microwaving fish in the break room just yeah. to get mm-hmm. on other people's nerves? That's what that's – see, it starts <laughs> with dissing on the president. But it, it really – it might actually – if you get enough of this, you might actually put the president in a position where he's a little more disciplined, which would be probably a good thing. How could that hurt? And then his followers are saying, hey – we hired this guy to be a brute, but you don't necessarily want to be a brute against your own brood. Says who? Mm. Once you beat up your own people. See, well, Jeff Flake in his speech for 20 minutes said uh, he cautioned against the notion that there would be a pivot to normalcy. Yeah, like don't think mm. that this is going to turn to normalcy. So, but, what... he, but he is saying I can't be a part of pretending that this is normal. Right. And that this is acceptable. And he said if he had to run, he would have to espouse those sorts yeah. of ideas and he couldn't do that. Leaving out the part that at this moment he'd probably lose as the, what the polls are showing he's going to lose. Yeah. Well, and also leaving out the part that he has a book. Well, the book killed him is what it was. But the they, book really The book is about everything. him speaking his conscience. Yeah. And honestly, he'll do just fine because yeah. he'll now leave and be the anti-Trump voice and go make money speaking – and probably consulting. And I like the fact that somebody's just – I mean the thing he also said is our grandkids mm-hmm. – what are we going to tell our grandkids as senators? What are we going to say we did this for? Because he, he he never mentioned Trump, but he did say the executive branch, which um, yeah. I'm pretty sure is Trump. Yeah, he wasn't he – was, I mean he didn't say the word, but yeah, it was – But it's a great question. What are you going to tell your grandkids about – you know, things that this president has said or done. And so anyway, that's big in the news. Um, uh, also, of course, Hillary Clinton, um, and I'm sure, are you covering that in your headlines? Okay. Hillary Clinton apparently heard the DNC and the Clinton uh, campaign paid for the dossier. Apparently. Uh, apparently um, that may have thrown Trump under the bus as well as casting other aspersions. aspersions. Yes. They but. just questioned her about this. <coughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah, this is a great. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, she's still got that tickle. <coughs> Let, maybe let's come back to her. See, we'll come back yeah. later and see if she's. Yeah, I have some more Hillary, other Hillary Clinton news. L- let's get. Let's, she's on her book tour. Let's get to uh, the, the news with Terry South, uh, a little Hillary Clinton update, I guess. Coming up here, the uh, we'll start with Senator Bob Corker. He spoke again, as you talked about. He emerged as one of the President Trump's most outspoken critics. On Tuesday, he went as far as to say, the debasement of our nation is what Trump will be remembered most for. Debasing our nation. 
Wow. The comments follow a string of tweets by Trump and Corker. Trump alleging Corker couldn't get elected dog catcher in Tennessee after Corker claimed the White House ought to step aside on tax reform. The president has great difficulty with the truth on many issues, he told CNN. You can't handle the truth. As they walk down the hallway, that's how CNN does, that's how this one reporter does all his interviews as they're walking. And he gets great stuff from them as they're just sort yeah. of trying to walk and talk. Maybe that's, that's it's a thing. trick. It's Their a trick. He doesn't down. even know he's being interviewed. He says there's a lack of desire to be competent in the office of president. Oh, talk yeah. about. But then he also said he said something about daycare. Yeah, he just said the daycare workers again weren't weren't there. He kind of went back to that well of uh, mocking boy. it. He uh, he added that if he had had it to do over again, he would not support Trump in the 2016 election. The House Judiciary and Oversight Committees announced Tuesday that they will conduct a joint probe in the Department of Justice handling of Hillary Clinton's emails in 2016. Hold on, why? So why is the GOP worried about all this stuff? They feel there's a need to investigate the investigation. Oh, okay. Right. So they're going to launch an investigation of the investigation into the emails. Oh, okay. But I thought we settled that, and she didn't no. win, and I well, thought they, we were done with the that. The DOJ had an investigation. But now we want to investigate. And they found there was nothing wrong. Now they're going to investigate the investigation to find out if there was anything Is wrong. Is this to take pressure off of President Trump's investigation? Of- um, maybe. Okay. A counter-investigation. Or are we just really being diligent here? Um, Sounds like diligence. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. So it says uh, the investigation will review a series of actions taken by the DOJ. The panel's chairman wrote, including the FBI's decision to disclose to the public the investigation of Clinton's emails, but not the probe of now President Trump's campaign ties to Russia, as well as the infamous letter former FBI Director James Comey sent to Congress October 2016 regarding mm. the Clinton matter. We need a probe. Really? We haven't launched a probe or an investigation. On this show? I don't think ever. How about a double probe? I'd like huh. now that let's not get out of control. Yeah, <laughs> let's start with a, a probe we'll or a, an investigation immediately. Right. Let's just okay figure out. Maybe let's figure. Let's go have a meeting. Okay. To decide what we should investigate. These uh, these things always start with meetings. Yeah, well, I want a just meeting. To get down. And to you the, know what? Let's throw in a little closed door meeting. Can't we just All do right, an right. email probe? You could. No. You could do this over email, text. Mm, I'm talk- trying to be original here. Oh, okay. Mm. Well, we'll work it out. Let's talk about it. Uh, And this one is some, uh, you you were talking earlier about uh, what's actually getting accomplished in D.C. Yeah, in fact, I'm dying Here's something yesterday. On Tuesday night, the Senate voted 51 to 50 to overturn a banking rule that would have allowed consumers to band together in class action lawsuits against banks and other financial institutions. Oh, they don't want us, (gasps) they don't want us banding together in like a lawsuit against... Like Equifax or Wells Fargo or these companies that, that do fraudulent things, they get caught, maybe your credit score gets totally destroyed. 51 to 50. Yeah. Was Mike was Pence, Mike Pence involved? Yeah. yeah. Hmm. So it says Senator Lindsey Graham and John Kennedy, both Republicans, joined the, every Democrat in opposing the bill. Vice President Mike Pence broke the tie. The rule finalized in July by the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, otherwise known as the CFPB, uh, after five years of work, <laughs> yeah, no, would have banned <laughs> most forms of mandatory arbitration included in the fine print of almost all bank account and credit card agreements. Oh, 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 oh. yeah. Go ahead. So these are the consumer protectors. Yes. Are now how they were trying to protect us by allowing us to have a lawsuit Lawsuits. against the bank. Yes, but now that's been canceled Overturned. out yes. by 
the Senate. By the this was the yeah the Senate last night. So yeah. the banking industry has been lobbying hard for Congress to overturn this rule. They don't want to be sued. They'd no. rather go to arbitration. Well, sure. The House passed its own bill overturning the arbitrary arbitration rule in July. President Trump expected to sign it into law. The CFPB was charged with studying the effects of such clauses, and its findings detailed in a 728-page report, which may be Ooh, the problem. No one read. Uh, it was in 2015 when they put that out, where once consumers were blocked from suing, most declined actually going to arbitration. Yeah. Right? So there was that. So then there was no penalty there because it's like, oh, you have to do arbitration. I don't want to do that. Okay. And then the matters dropped, right? Or if it actually went to arbitration, uh, they looked at 78 successful arbitration claims over the two years the, they, they studied the issue and resulted in 400000 in total Awards, uh, see, they would have made so much more money and if hurt, they could have just had a class action and suit. And hurt the companies and teaching yeah. them lessons to be careful with your data, to be careful with it your accounts. It seems like we're protecting big business. We're protecting banks again. And, so, and Wells Fargo that, that did some major cheating and so uh, Equifax. This says, tonight's vote is a giant setback for every consumer in this country, says the director of the CFPB, the Consumer Financial <laughs> Protection Bureau. But that is – is that a government agency? It is. So the government agent – is saying this was a setback for consumers. That's right. But the, the government agent, I'm sure, is a Trump administration appointee. No. Oh. They were in that position before. Okay. Just and checking. so, yeah. Um, noting that big players like Wells Fargo and Equifax can now basically do as they please without fear of any major consumer pushback. Wall Street won. Ordinary people lost, he said. Hmm. How many times a year do you get those emails that says, you can join this lawsuit. If you win, you get like 30 cents. I... I don't get very many of those. Really? But I don't hang out with uh, – we, ha- we hang out with different people. Hmm. Okay. I'm not, you know – I mean, I, I'm not saying I wouldn't want to be involved. So, final I story. want more than 30 cents. There is a problem in this country with packages being delivered to the front door, steps yes. of houses, yes. and then other people coming up and stealing them. Yes. So, Amazon, who, of course, deals in a lot of these types of shipments, is trying to figure out a way to solve the problem. The program they announced is called Amazon Key. Hmm. Key? You're a Prime member. It lets people drop off packages inside of customers' homes. <gasps> Just give us a key to your place. You have to and purchase we'll drop it off. a $120 internet-connected security camera called Amazon Cloud Cam. Consumers who want to participate in the program need to purchase the accompanying smart lock to allow delivery people to enter the home. Combined with uh, camera lock packages, they start at... Uh, what two fifty? So I mean, you have you have to put a, a wow. bunch of money into getting a smart lock. As uh, with the program added, they think it's a more convenient option than traditional outside drop-offs, while also coming up with one solution for package theft, which is rampant in some markets. Basically, the idea is the person walks up to the door, they'll knock. You'll be able to look at your phone, see it's the delivery hey, it's guy, Jimmy from Amazon. You unlock the door, they open the door, set it inside the door, shut the door, it locks. So now wait wow. a minute. Amazon has great customer service. If your package is stolen, they're most likely going to replace it, right? Mm-hmm. So they want us to pay for something that they're going to have to pay for anyway. It seems like this would ensure this would they'd have less loss if they would just let us do this for free. Hmm. But you can also do Amazon Super Key program, which is where they will not only have the key, but they will actually unwrap the package oh, nice. and put it away in your desk drawer. And if it's food, they'll put it directly into your mouth. Wow. There are services in uh, bigger cities. They'll actually deliver your groceries to your home and put them in your fridge. Wow. wow. That, that's great service. But you have to have this ability to unlock your door remotely. 
Mom, we were so scared. Well, they clean These out. These guys in brown came in and just started putting stuff into our fridge. It was great. Well, they throw out the rotten milk that's in there. No, they won't sort mm. your fridge. They'll simply put the food they have in your fridge and then make a hasty retreat. Do they take their shoes off? You could ask them to. I don't know. I'm not sure how all these services work. I tend to go grocery shopping myself and put my own food away. They don't take their how shoes off. How much do you charge? I am free to my house. I mean, like, there, 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 there's, there's a psychological toll to my family, but yeah. we don't really. It's you can't put a money. You can't put money. Plus, on all the mountain, diet Mountain Dew. You right, buy. right. Mm-hmm. It's good stuff, but ca- decaffeinated. Of it, course. it takes up space in the fridge, but I think the family's better for it. Yeah, no. fewer tangents, too, fewer temper tantrums. I mean, um, wow. I don't know if I like these companies being in my house. Yeah, that's my thought is the whole in-home delivery thing. There's a whole process where they verify that it's the right driver and they have the right person and all this. And And you you do have a video camera, so you will be able to watch us in your house. Yeah, but it's their video camera. Yes. Mm. I just watched Ocean's Eleven, and they can do amazing things with video cameras. They loop feeds. They can loop a feed. Oh, that's that's been done since the movie Speed was out. Right. Do you remember when you looped a feed? I, are you talking about my stomach problems Your again? Diet, yeah. Oh boy. Wow. He ate something and it just it just looped his whole system. Mm. Totally, it's kind of totally skipped the middleman. But security was none the wiser because on their their feet of security was fine. It was looped. Yeah. Right. It just looked like a normal everyday situation. Or in the movie Speed, it looked like they were still on the bus mm. when in actuality they had already evacuated the bus. Just ruined the movie. I've never seen Speed. Thanks. I was going to watch it tonight. Thanks. It's a high concept, kind of stupid fun. Well, now I know that it was, you know, they had looped the feed. Yeah, well. Hmm. There's another movie you don't need to see. Yep. My wife will be glad to hear that. She thinks I'm having an affair with Netflix. Hey, by the way, uh, Field of Dreams coming to Netflix in November. Yes. I've seen it. Watch it again because it's about baseball. Yeah, just, just fast forward to that speech. I know, but right now you can watch baseball. And they've already built it. We just watched Moneyball, and I shared with you some of my favorite baseball movies, and Feel the Dreams was also on that list. Yeah, it was. And nachos. But I think it's mainly because I like corn on the cob. Mm. Really? Mm-hmm. Because they built it in a cornfield? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. By the way, that was the beginning of the corn maze. Yes. That's when people looked at like, why he built a, built a baseball diamond in the middle of a cornfield? That's I could do a easiest, maze. Isn't there a corn show? maze possible? You just follow the bases all around and you get out right. of the maze. Well, there's ghosts out there too. That's true. Plus, I can't go into a corn maze ever since I saw the movie Children of the Corn Maze. Right. Ooh. Oh, that thing freaked me out. Leanna Tan was in that, wasn't uh-huh. she? Yeah, yeah, she was one of the children. She was the oldest child. Uh, we got a lot to cover, folks. Up next, we're going to be revisiting an interview um, with Sir Richard Petto. Uh, does happiness itself directly affect your mortality? Are you are you going to live longer if you're happier? Interesting research is out on that. We'll talk about that. Of course, also doing some more empty news and uh, lots to cover with BYU Sports Nation. Talk, super, talk uh, World Series with them. Straight ahead, this is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world.
For years, studies on happiness have connected stress and unhappiness with a shorter life expectancy. A new study, however, completed by a million women study in the UK suggests that happiness and mortality may not be as directly correlated as we previously thought. Sir Richard Pito uh, is a professor of medical statistics and epidemiology at the University of Oxford. He joined us a few months ago to talk about the study that he co-authored and explored how happiness may or may not directly affect mortality. I began the interview by asking uh, Sir Pito, how did the misunderstanding of cause and effect with regard to happiness and mortality start? People have just got mixed up with cause and effect. People yeah. have got mixed up with cause and effect. The problem is that if you've got some kind of illness, some kind, especially some kind of chronic illness, then on average you're going to be more unhappy. You're going to be on average stressed. And so the people who are unhappy or stressed because they've got some kind of illness, well, yeah, hmm. they've got higher death rates. Yeah, you take somebody who's got emphysema, yeah, they're going to be unhappy, and they're going to have higher death rates than people who don't have emphysema. And that's all it is. People have just got cause and effect. Hmm. Up. And it's a bizarre story because people are so set on the eye that, you know, happiness is preventing heart attacks and stress is causing heart attacks. It just isn't true. If stress or unhappiness makes you do something daft, like you know, commit suicide or smoke cigarettes or drink lots of vodka, well, yeah, okay. Except for what happiness or unhappiness make you do, they don't themselves have any effects on heart attacks or mortality. Interesting. I mean, that, and that makes sense, right? I mean, that's it. It is. It's cause effect. Yet in research, it's essential to separate that. Yeah, it's getting cause and effect backwards. I mean, there's a silly old joke about what's the most dangerous place in the world to be, and the answer is bed. Look at the number of people who die in bed. And <laughs> a lot of this stuff about you know stress causing disease yeah. or unhappiness causing heart attacks. Just, it's just that kind of mix-up of cause and effect. How, how did you... A lot of things do affect disease. Right. We've asked people whether they smoked or not, and of course the smokers were three times as likely to die in the near future as the non-smokers were. And you did also find, when we asked people whether they were happy or not, then we found that the smokers tended to be unhappier than the non-smokers. And you've got to allow for that sort of thing. But... The main thing was just reverse causality. That was the main problem. Talk about, um, were you on, from the onset of this study, were you trying to to evaluate the causality? Did you know that that's what was going to be what you were going to find? No. We, we were mo- mostly concerned with things that are really obvious causes like, you know, smoking, diabetes, you know, hormone replacement therapy can cause breast cancer. And, you know, these sort of things. We were looking for the mechanical things, but we also asked other questions, questions about what jobs people did, questions about whether they did shift work, questions about, you know, and questions about whether they were happy or unhappy, because there were lots of people who'd been claiming this, and we wanted to check out if it was true or not. Hmm. It might have been, but it isn't. Yeah. What, what else did you learn? Um, did you learn any other correlations with happiness? Oh, well, although it's true that, you know, in in Britain, most of the people who smoke say they wish they didn't smoke. And the people who have managed to stop, I mean, two-thirds of smokers have stopped, and the ones who have managed to stop seem to be happier than those who are still smoking. Hmm. And the the non-smokers are happiest of all, although that's quite a slight difference. The ex-smokers and the non-smokers are about the same. I mean, the other one, not very good for me, but that it seemed as though... It was the um, the people who had less education were more likely to say they were happy with their lives. Hmm. 
rather than the people who had a lot of education. There were some odd ends like that. Yeah. Um, in fact, there were there were lots of different things. There are lots of differences between people who say they're happy and people who say they're unhappy, um, and you do have to allow for them. But they, they, those were sort of minor adjustments. The big thing was just this reverse causality. Illness makes you unhappy. Illness makes you die, and therefore unhappiness tends to go with death. But it's not because the unhappiness is causing death. It's because the illness is causing both of them. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's essential that, I mean, if you are ill... Um, you might be less happy, or if if you are a smoker, maybe it's just it just makes you feel well, different. Smoking is definitely causal. Yeah, that was the biggest thing we found in the study. Actually, was the effects of smoking. We we found that the smokers had three times the death rate of the non-smokers. They were three times as likely to die in the near future as the non-smokers were. So, if the smokers had had non-smoker death rate, two thirds of their premature deaths would have been avoided. I mean, we're all going to die eventually, but you know, the question is. What, when do you do it? Do you do it sooner or later? Mm-hmm. What? So the smoking was... The other thing we got that was quite nice was stopping smoking. We found, you know, given how bad smoking is, you need to think that if you smoked until you were 30 or 40 and then stopped, then you'd be pretty wrecked. But surprisingly, if you actually stopped before 40, preferably well before 40, you'd avoid more than 90% of the risk of getting killed by tobacco. You know, stopping works, but you need to do it before you've got some serious disease. Right. You could stop before 30, you'd avoid 97% of the risk. So the big effects were smoking kills, stopping works. Um, but then there were various other odds and ends. There's, um, oh, it, the other funny one was, one, one that it was definitely set out to check, was all this stuff from 20 years ago about whether the contraceptive pill causes cancer. There are all these claims, you know, people are talking about the cancer-causing little pill, and just right. true. What we actually found was that the people who used the pill a bit less likely to get cancer, and they were a bit less likely to die from cancer because being on the pill for, say, five or ten years, and ten years or so, could halve your risk of getting cancer of the ovary or cancer of the womb, you know, the lining of yeah. the womb where the baby grows. And, you know, those things, those protective effects carry through right on into middle and old age. Oh. So what we actually found was that the far from being a cause of cancer, the contraceptive pill was somewhat protective against cancer, which again was, you know, you don't know until you look. But the study was big. It was more than a million women. So yeah, that's it, huh? Results. So then you can, I guess, go in and, and start uh, doing a lot of other work with that, with that oh, yeah. study. Yeah. Yeah, and you, know, you get hazards that are well known, like if you're too fat, then you know, you get really fat and then you're more likely to drop dead or you're more likely to get diabetes and things like that. But I, th- I think a lot of the findings were much what you'd expect overall in Britain and in America. People are living longer than they were. People are in better health than they were. You know, compared with 10 years ago, there's less premature death than there was. If compared with 50 years ago, there's less premature death than there was. So overall, things are getting better, and most things don't kill you. There are a few things that are really big killers. Hmm. I mean, number one in Britain and America would be tobacco, and then among the non-smokers, number one would be if you're obese. Yeah. Or if you... But it's it, it's fine. And it just lots and lots of things that people claim are true aren't true. There's all kinds of claimed benefits from various vitamins and health foods. They're probably mostly not true. There's these claimed benefits 
from happiness. Well, you know, it's all right being happy. Yeah. It's quite fun. But it's <laughs> not probably going to kill you. It's not going to produce eternal life. Yeah. It, but it's interesting because we it's almost like we want to believe it, right? We we want yes, to believe the happiness it's, myth. It's an urban myth. And even though we've got really clear evidence that the scientists who claim this is a real protective effect are wrong, it will still go on being believed. In fact, I bet you most of your listeners who hear this now will think, oh, well, that's what they've found. But still, yeah. I believe that happiness reduces, improves your health. I believe that stress makes your health worse. Well, if it doesn't make you smoke or commit suicide or do something stupid, then okay. Yeah. It, 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 they're wrong. But it, I don't think that this study will actually change them. I think it just suits people to believe these things. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, it probably doesn't harm them to believe these things either. Well, and I guess there's the placebo effect too, right? I mean, if I think of vitamins helping me, short of it actually killing me, I guess it's helping me. No, no. No, you're only thinking it's helping you. Yeah, it's true. That's right. It's placebo. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I think the placebo effect is something else. The placebo effect is mostly that if you give anybody any pill and say, but, you know, this pill could cause stomach upsets and this pill could cause muscle aches. Now, then you ask them a month or two, did you have any stomach upsets or did you have any muscle aches? Mm. Yes, yes. But if you give, you know, a real pill with some medicine in it or a dummy pill and the medicine is something that has no effect on them, stomach pains or muscle aches, then you'll find the same number in the ones who took the medicine, the ones who took the dummy pill. But if you gave the medicine on its own and then just asked people, you'd say, oh, yes. Or if you gave the dummy pills on their own and just asked people, did it cause upset? Oh, yes. So... Yeah, that's... Yeah, that makes more sense. suggestibility. So if you want to find out what drugs are really doing, you sometimes have to use dummy pills. You take the real real drug versus dummy drug. And that's what they did with aspirin when they showed that aspirin could protect against heart attacks. They gave either real aspirin or dummy pills that look like aspirin. And yeah, the heart attacks were genuinely reduced. Well, and when we're dealing with mortality rate, it seems like you got to shoot straight, right? We don't want a lot of myth in the concept of what's going to kill you. That's right. I think that is true. But if you've got, you know, dozens and dozens of things that are supposed to make you more healthy or less healthy, then you may worry less about the things that really matter. I mean, for a smoker, for example... I mean, if the smokers have got three times the death rate of the non-smokers, then you don't want smokers believing that what really matters is stress or worry or vitamin pills or, you know, so, you know, they, they ought to be real and mm-hmm. true and, you know, make their own choice. But, you know, at least get, get straight, get the numbers straight. Yeah. And focus, focus on your biggest threat. Yeah, with, that's right. Which is tobacco or right obesity. Because one thing, of course, biggest threat of all, of course, is old age. Eventually you get old and if you die, everybody dies. And speaking as an old statistician, I noticed that for people in good health, one of the things that actually went with happiness was being older. We didn't have very old people in this study, but we had them up to about 60 or 70. And, you know, the older ones, if they were in good health, were more likely to say they were happy than the younger ones. You know, maybe Life gets a bit more peaceful when you reach later middle age compared with what it's like when you're younger. There's kids swarming all over the place. Yeah. I mean, that's and that's counterintuitive. I was at a funeral this weekend and I thought, I mean, I start, th- I'm 45, 46, and I'm like, man, I'm getting old. But then you, <laughs> you have other people that are old that are in their 70s and 80s and they're, 
they feel very good and they're healthy and they're positive and and upbeat. It's that's interesting finding that uh, you don't have to feel old just because you are getting old. Well, that was true. If, if you're in good health, that is, if yeah. you're in good health. But you know, you know, bad health. You know, being sort of limited, being disabled. You know, that just gets people down. It really does get people down. I mean, that was the thing that was really driving unhappiness answers. Um, but yeah, older people. There was another one we found that you know, if you sleep about seven, eight hours a night, they tended to be happier than the ones who slept nine hours a night, and happier than the ones who slept only five or six hours a night. Huh. There's all sorts of odds and ends. You know, happiness. As I say, lots of things go with happiness. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> well, I think it's. I think it it's fascinating. One way or another, it doesn't save you. It doesn't kill you. Yeah. But it does make you happy. Right. And, and yet, and like other things you found, drinkers, a couple of glasses of uh, of alcohol a day might make you happier. Um, it was one or two drinks. Yeah, the, the, the ones who had one or two drinks tended to say they were happier than the ones who didn't drink at all. But as I say, the ones who were smoking tend to say they were unhappier than the ones who didn't smoke at mm-hmm. all. So it's, it's not automatically that, you know, doing these things is going to go with happiness or unhappiness. And those two went in opposite directions. What's your view on your, your finding about education? Why would those with less education <laughs> be happier? I mean, it makes you know, sense I, in a way. I, I don't know. I really don't know. But it was it – was, Quite interesting. If it had been the other way around, you know, if the ones with more education said they were happier, I'd have thought, well, yeah, okay, I'd sort of expected that. Yeah. But in fact, it was the ones who sort of left school without any qualifications, who presumably were just working unskilled jobs. They tended to say they were happier than the ones who got university degrees. It wasn't a big difference, but it was real. Huh. And, and that's, I mean, that, that's fascinating, especially when today everyone's questioning, you know, whether we should get educations or not. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well. Yeah, now they you wait now this data is going to start showing. See? No, you don't need an education. I better not let my kids find this out. Okay. They're going to yeah, want to don't tell them after they're educated. That's right. too late. I'm going to keep the myth alive. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, we appreciate it. This is great stuff. Again, uh, Sir Richard Pedo, thank you so much for your great work and um keep up the study. I'd love to find out more when you when you continue to dive into the data. Sir Richard Pedo, we appreciate you from Oxford University. Man, Interesting information about happiness, folks. What you might think drives your happiness might be a myth and your mortality, right? So happiness, uh, according to the researchers, not a direct correlation to your mortality rate. However, if if you've got an illness and a sickness that's killing you, that's probably more the likelihood of what's driving your happiness or your mortality, right? Your sickness, not necessarily your happiness level. You can be going through a traumatic event, not happy, and uh, it, it'll it'll lower. It, it's not the the sickness will impact your uh, mortality, not necessarily your mood. We'll take a break, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends. It is Greasy Food Day, so today's the day we encourage you to indulge in your favorite things. But remember... Do I have your permission on you, that? You have my permission, but there you will have to empty the grease trap. <laughs> and uh, in humans, that's kind, of, that's kind of a hard thing to do. Uh, there's some other empty news uh, we wanted to cover. Jeff, what, uh, what should we be looking at? So we've mentioned drugs on the show. Yeah. Illegal. Not that we like to talk about drugs for every show, but... Uh, here is a candidate who has an idea for finding 
drugs. Illegal you know, drugs? Like, you know, like there's the canine the unit that will find oh, yeah. drugs. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a Philadelphia area mayoral candidate says he was serious when he vowed to investigate the use of drug sniffing bunnies if elected. Even though it appears to stem from an Internet hoax, the Philadelphia Inquirer reports Republican nominee Dave Gutrow broached the idea Thursday at a Phoenixville mayoral forum. The candidate told the newspaper he had been told about the idea at a gathering and thought he had confirmed with someone in Lancaster the rabbits were in use there. Last year, the idea surfaced in an April Fool's post by Amherst, uh, New York police. And on a satire page called People of Lancaster, Gautreaux said in a since-removed Facebook post, uh, yeah, so he— He's going to use bunnies. Drug-sniffing bunnies. Well, you know what? He might—people will let more bunnies closer to him than a you know scary dog. I always thought maybe they were drug-sniffing because their noses are constantly twitching, you know? Yeah. yeah. So they're they're looking for something. That's a nervous tick thing. <laughs> it's just that little— but but two um, wasn't Zootopia that that was a drug sniffing bunny? Uh, I guess in a way, a I mean, roundabout so this way. Isn't, that's where he got the idea. Yeah, cartoon. So maybe he's just an advocate for you can be whatever you want to be. Right. By golly, the bunnies want to sniff drugs. I mean, yeah, just let them. But like, do you give a command like <laughs> sick him, sick him, bunny? Maybe. Does the bunny turn on you? Well, if you've seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail, oh, you've seen true. the damage that a. That a bunny yeah. can do. No, yeah. Never turn your back on a bunny. Yeah. That's what grandma said. Um, how do you or do you typically dispose of spiders? Uh, I use the shoe method. The age-old-tested shoe, shoe method. Just really? one shoe, one hit. That's all you got. Wow. Disposed That's of. effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then what's great is it just wears off as you wear the shoe throughout the day. If you want to be really cruel, you could use some spiked cleats. But yeah. – uh, Anyway, um, then accuracy has to go up there. uh, Listen to this. This took place in Tucson, Arizona. A blowtorch used to burn spider webs could be the cause of a fire at a mobile home in Tucson, Arizona, officials say. Fire crews sent to the scene on Sunday stopped the fire from spreading. An elderly woman was carried out of the home by her son and neighbors but suffered only minor injuries. The cause of the fire is being investigated, but firefighters say they suspect a propane torch was used to burn spiders from under the trailer. And what do you want to bet it wasn't the old lady that did it? I'm willing to bet it wasn't her either. It was her brilliant son or grandson. Who thought like, it was hilarious. Grandma, I'll do, I'll do the spider webs. Just, can I borrow the torch? Honey, I don't think that's going to be good. Grandma, trust me. Next thing you know, fire department shows up. I use this for everything. It works, Grandma. Then we don't have to touch all those darn spider webs. Who, who wants to pay $5 for the recycle bin? I'll just burn it. Oh, boy. Not good. Yeah. Poor lady. That's how you get rid of your paper? Just burn the paper instead of recycling it? It's always better to just call the exterminator. Don't waste electricity. Just cook your meal that way. (laughs) Grandma, the torch works for everything. They use it in the Olympics. It's the Tucson (laughs) Torch-O-Matic. We burn them day and night. Uh, Let's – Let's do this. A quick break and come back, visit our good brethren from BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, burn the things that uh, you need to in life.
go check in with our good brethren from BYU Sports Nation. They will be taking over the reins at BYU Broadcasting. BYU Radio, I guess. They're already taking over the reins on television, too. They're taking all of the reins. Ten minutes away from now, they'll uh, be enlightening all of us on what's going on in BYU sports. So, Spencer and Jerome, welcome to the show, my friends. Our world domination continues. World domination. How are you guys? Doing well, man. I've missed you since the last retreat a few days ago. Well, we've thought about you, too. No, you haven't. I feel like it's been 46 hours since I saw you. (laughs) You guys don't see the thing is we think about you, but you're you don't think about us. I know that. <laughs> That's not true. That's no. I've read you guys. We talk around shop here. Have you Whenever guys, we want to make fun of somebody, you I are know, the first I person know. that comes to I mind. Know. Have you guys noticed that the furniture starting to disappear all over this place? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Starting to get and a little in weird. The lobby, out. suddenly there's. Where, where are you guys? It sounds like you're at a, a tea we're, party. We're in our party. studio. Our crew's having a good time. We're okay, good. I yeah. just thought I thought maybe you guys like were out getting up, picking up a churro or something. Nope, listening to Metallica, just yeah. partying it up with our crew in Studio B. Is that what you do to get pumped up, a little Metallica? Well, we kind of play whatever Logan plays for us. Okay. Yeah, he's the uh, A1, so he, he's mixing. You know, he's the mix. So, so he'll yeah, sir he mix a little. The, the musica, we bring the moves. <laughs> we're off to never, never land. So we were listening wow. to some uh, Metallica. It was great. <laughs> that was really good. Or not to get excited. I think when, when, uh, when the church launched BYU Radio, they were like, "Yeah, the peak moment is having Metallica played behind the scenes." Oh yeah. Our oh yeah. BYU Sports Nation guys. Going. Nothing it's says of, it's kind of the top. Nothing helps you see the good in the world more than Metallica. Yeah. Hey, did you guys see the good last night in the World Series game? It went very fast. Justin Justin Turner. Yeah. Goggle laugh. As uh, our good friend Jason Shepard put it, man, he's got a nasty beard, but he can rake it. He better so, rake it. Fun fact, Ed Sheeran, also a uh, ginger, uh, wore a uh, Justin Turner jersey one time at a concert in L.A. Did, oh, did he? he really? So when Justin Turner comes to the play, his walk-up song is Ed Sheeran. <laughs> oh, wow. How cool, what song? Though. What Ed Sheeran uh, song? Like a fi- that fire song. I, I see fire. No, it's not that one. I can't remember the name of that song. No, that's yeah. good. That one. Yeah. I'm glad you sang it. By the way, two. It was one of the fastest World Series games in history in the Since last 92. I guess is that uh, is that great. good for baseball? Or I mean, it's good for the fan, I guess. Get in and out. But if you spend a thousand bucks, it's great because uh, you're going to play nine innings anyway. So well, when you've well. got Kershaw and Keuchel pitching, like that's not that much of a shocker. Three yeah. one. Yeah, it was it was a tremendous game. So. Game two tonight, and and on our crew today, our director is Michael Hunter. He's wearing a Dodgers hat. Ah, and yes. Our technical director is Julian Riley. He's wearing an Astros hat. <gasps> so I hope Throwdown. it doesn't get ugly in there. No, it's going to get crazy. I can already yeah, tell. I've already talked to them to try and make sure that we're cool. You know, like Boy. let's be professional. Yeah, we can all get along. Yeah, it's not I, like I anticipate that it will it will be just fine. But I don't want some kind of outburst. You it's know, it's not like BYU and ECU. It's yeah, nothing's like that. It's not like that. <laughs> Uh, any anything new in um, in sports? I mean, I know you're still doing your show, right? Uh, nothing changed. No big announcements about your show. No, but today's a, a great day because it's the Cougar Tip Off tonight. You can listen to it on BYU Radio. Watch it on the BYU TV app, BYUtv.org, the YouTube uh, BYU TV Sports Channel. Spencer and I on the call. Greg Rubel and Mark Durant on the radio call. Sweet. Uh, we'll talk to Greg today. 
You mentioned Justin Turner, uh, yes. redhead. We're going yes. to talk to a – he doesn't think he's a redhead, but we think he is. Uh, his name's Rory <laughs> Linkletter. <laughs> he is one of the best cross-country runners in the country, uh, and he is at Brigham. BYU's ranked second. BYU won the pre-national championship meet uh, in Louisville, Kentucky. We will talk to Rory on the set today. That's great. Can you ask him a question for me? Maybe. Just about ankles. I twist my ankle. I have very delicate ankles mm-hmm. from my grandma, mm-hmm. my nana. Yeah. Uh, is there anything I can do to, to strengthen my ankles? Uh, we will probably not ask him that. Oh, that's so rude. Okay. I'll just call Rory Linkletter on my own then. Yeah. Do it. Mm-hmm. Do it. Do call, it. Call uh, Sister Mangum. I will. I'll see if she can Karen. take me up. She knows how, because mine's kind of a high ankle sprain, too. Yes. So, yeah, I understand. Um, anything else going on on the show that we should be paying attention to? Nah, just don't worry about it. Okay. <laughs> wow, that made it, re- that made it really easy. <laughs> anything, anything going on in your personal lives that we want to get out on the air right now because you won't talk uh, about it on your see. show? Mm. What's, what are your kids going to go um, dress up as? Oh, for Halloween. Yeah. Mine, mine's going to be a dinosaur. Oh, cute. So my little boys are Batman and Robin. Hmm. Jax well, is uh, six. He's Batman. Jet's two. He'll be Robin. Are they going to be ripped? Uh, I think my wife is going to be is a nine uh, Poison Ivy. <gasps> oh. And uh, I'm, I'm flirting with the idea of being Commissioner Gordon. Nice. Yeah, that ought to work. Sesh. Just wear yeah. your church suit. <laughs> well, no. Way to no, dig it's deep. All, it's, all about, it's all about the... The glasses the and the mustache. Thick horn-rimmed and, glasses, yeah. the mustache, okay. it's and the, the trench coat, right? Yeah, it's the other stuff. By the way, next Tuesday from 7 to 9 Eastern Time, we're going to have a uh, two-hour BYU Sports Spooktacular <gasps> on Halloween. Ooh. It's a combination of BYU Sports Nation and BYU Football with Klein Sitake from Lavelle Edwards Stadium, the parking <laughs> lot, at the Trunk or Treat. How that great. Athletics is doing. Spooktacular. A spooktacular. Next Tuesday. I think that's incredible. Great job. Yeah. You can listen on BYU Radio. Oh, for sure. We wouldn't miss it. Uh, Good luck, my good brethren. May the force be with you. May you spook people effectively. That kind of sounds weird to even say. Um, We've got uh, a little hero story for you. As you know, we like to wrap up the show celebrating the good that's being done out there in the world. Today's hero, uh, you know, inspiration is sometimes found in the most unlikely places. 95-year-old Harvey Jerf walks nearly a mile around his neighborhood twice a day, every day. The Minnesota man is getting around with a little help from his friends. Even though he's not as fast as he used to be, that's just fine for Jerf. Uh, The World War II veteran and retired biology teacher has been walking his subdivision for more than 65 years, according to CBS News' Vladimir Duthiers. And the neighbors have taken notice, dotted along his nearly uh, mile-long route is a chair after chair after chair. As I got older, I stop and rest more often, and the neighbors have noticed Harvey stopping, taking a breath or so. So they've been putting out different chairs and inviting me to sit and take a rest. He's a bit of a celebrity in the town of Plymouth, Minnesota, about four miles outside of Minneapolis. It's a wonderful experience and a social experience. I get to know the neighbors, and they get to know me. At 95, his life has been slowing down quite a bit. But Jerf says he still loves to get out there and take his walk at a pretty steady pace. He said, my wife uh, said years ago, I'm just antsy. I can't sit still. So getting out makes his life a lot better. And having neighbors that are watching after him makes it even more valuable. So to the neighborhood and to uh, he, the, the walker himself, Harvey Jerf, heroes of the Matt Townsend Show, 
Isn't it amazing how we can all gather around somebody uh, just by noticing what they need and take caring and t- taking care of them? Such a powerful thing. That is the show, my friends. We're back every Monday through Friday, 9 to noon Eastern, and we'll be back again tomorrow. You can find out more uh, of us at, uh, at the Dr. Matt Show on Twitter. Check us out. We're also on BYURadio.org. And uh, BYU Sports Nation is up next. Stick with them.